Murders, mommies and monster tongues. Welcome to another episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast where a, a movie fan who's never read a Marvel comic book before rewatches the Marvel movies and then quizzes someone who is a living, breathing, walking Marvel encyclopedia. Hello and welcome to the show. My name's Rob Holden, comedian, writer and a Marvel comic book fan of over 30 years. I'm sort of the expert of the equation and I'm joined as ever. He's powered by ignorance, the man that makes it all possible with his questions. It's Will Preston. I'm bringing 12 gigawatts of ignorance to this podcast today. Mm. Or is it gigawatts? <laughs> I don't know. Too much back to the future. It's written with a with a g, but it's pronounced with a soft g, which is a j. I was about so to say you that you don't know your guz from your juz. Well, I didn't come up with it. It's uh, the person that uh, created the created the script. Um, <laughs> we will are in the middle of one of the most exciting and ambitious things we've done since maybe uh, before the MCU. We're on the ultimate Venom saga. I mean. We're doing this incredible three-episode trip through the the black and white Venom symbiote saga. We started it in the the last main show episode with Spider-Man Three, and then last week we expanded it to give you the good full deep dive into the first ever Marvel superhero crossover event, The Secret Wars. The big birthplace of the Venom symbiote. And now we come to breathlessly come to our climax, uh, our writhing climax, Ooh. which is a, 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 an episode fully dedicated to Eddie Brock and to Venom. Um, we touched on him, Uwe misses Spider Man <laughs> 3. We, Sorry. we went, delved into the alien origins of the character in that bonus episode. Now we're here. With Tom Hardy, who gets everyone a little bit sexy. Everything gets sexy when Tom Hardy's, you know, on the cast. It does. Uh, we're, we're now here, uh, arriving at his second, or perhaps first true, silver screen outing, the 2018 movie Venom. How are you feeling about this trip, Will? This little three-episode jaunt? Well, it's Tom Hardy, isn't it? What can go wrong if Tom Hardy's involved? Very handsome. Have you, in- have you enjoyed the way we've we've... We've kind of the places we've gone in this so far. Spider Man Three was a, a revelation for both of us, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I have to say, Spider Man Three was a lot better second time round, way better. And and Secret Wars was one one of our best bonus episodes, I think. There is a crazy story like that I am forbidden to read. <laughs> Only until listen, folks. If you're new to the game. The format only exists because Will Preston <laughs> has never read a Marvel comic book before. So as soon as he reads a Marvel comic, we have to, you know, close the tent and send the clowns home. The circus is over. I'm be explaining to a counsellor how this podcast was, constitutes as bullying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just slightly taunting you with, with, you know, getting you to salivate over wonderful Marvel stories that you can't delve into. But hey, you suffer for the people, Will, because your pain means they get to learn about the wonderful stories they can go and experience and read. And in this episode, in our climax of Venom, we've got all your views and opinions on Eddie Brock 
And the movie, the, the, the full, but and I mean full, behind the page story on how the Venom character was created. How Venom was nearly a woman Ooh. right from the start. And the full story on eating brains and exactly how Venom is related to the other symbiotes in the Marvel Universe. All to come in this episode right now. Very exciting stuff. Well... What have you been doing on the Twitch recently? That's what we want to know. Because you're the one part of this that they can experience multiple times a week. If you need Will P more than <laughs> once a week, you can get it on the Twitch. You can, you can catch me twitching, which is, uh, which is a legitimate term. Yeah, I, uh, I'm uh, doing it every Monday, Wednesday and Friday because gigs aren't happening at the moment. So uh, I've switched from uh, killing dragons in Skyrim to not dying in a nuclear wasteland in Fallout, both made by the same studio. <laughs> we did discuss this previously. That it's like one is the, it's the same game, almost with slightly different like skins, almost the same game. Yeah, it's but obviously they have different features and different ways of doing things. Like in Fallout, you can do Vats mode, which is a vault assisted targeting system, which means that in a fight, if someone comes at you, you press a button and it goes, and everything sort of either slows down. Or freezes, and you get to pick where you want to shoot instead of just shooting manually. And you cheated. It's not cheating. I thought it was cheating at first, oh, but it's like you've it, got the you've got the game genie out. No, remember the game genie? Anyone remember the game genie? Remember, just me. Okay, I remember the game genie. I remember the game <laughs> you genie. You plugged your game genie into your Fallout, and you just cheated. No, you have a little bar that recharges, so you can't use it all the time, but you do get uh, extra damage for using it. So. I, I it's like, tend not to use it unless I know I'm going to get a good hit in. It sounds to me like a rip-off of Max Payne, <laughs> the greatest video game shooter of all time. Fantastic and, game. And, and the worst movie. <laughs> the worst video game movie. Worse than Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. That's I a avoid, trash movie right there. I avoided. That was Mark Wahlberg, wasn't it? Marky Mark, Mark, before he was anyone. Um, I still am a little aggrieved that I live in a world where Marky Mark is successful. Um, he 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 beats someone up and called them lots of racial abuse. You know that's on record. That definitely officially properly happened. And I know he went to the police and it didn't hurt his career. He's a, he's a terrible man and he does a lot of weird mm. rituals. Did you hear about his rituals in the morning? No, cryo well, bath. Not here for this, but I'm here for he, it now. He, he sleeps in a cryo bath for an hour in the morning after doing exercise. For rejuvenation or something like, there's a whole Bollocks. list you can read online of what he does, and one of them is some kind of weird cryo bath. That sounds like that Simpsons line, you know, the the uh, in the one where he takes the you know the Mona Mona Lisa gummy off. Oh, the gummy Venus de Milo. That's it, the Venus de Milo gummy, and then the the uh, the paparazzi are using heat cameras to watch the house and they see a rotisserie chicken and they say oh he's obviously basting himself in a vat of his own juices oh. that's what that sounds like or the oxygen Bizarre tent that gives story. him sexual powers <laughs> sleeps nude in an oxygen that's one of my favourite bits it's just too good well I, I doubt that'll be the last Simpsons reference off the podcast uh, guaranteed you know the form you know the score mm. <laughs> it's um it's a big meaty episode. Uh, this this final chapter of the 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 Venom. I don't know what to call it. They're not I mean, you say saga quite a lot. 
We say journey quite a bit. I need another word, Will. The, the Venom... Deus Ex Machina. Shut up. <laughs> Just wait. The Venom experience. The, the, the last chapter... The Venom, the Venom experience. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm not happy with that. No. Write in, let us know, everyone. Mm. Um, and, Will, you, you've got some heavy lifting to do because what people listening might not... I mean, they might be aware of it on some level because... I mean, I don't know, though. Maybe they're not. This, ladies and gentlemen, this episode, this movie we're covering is the start of a brand new Marvel Cinematic Universe. A brand new shared universe starts in this movie and with this episode. There's a lot to be chatting about. Will, you are, as ever, the man with the facts and the figures when it comes to Hollywood. What can you tell us about Venom? Oh, what can I tell you about Venom? This is where things get interesting. I, I I mean, let, okay. Let's well. First of all, we'll get down to brass tacks, uh, and by brass tacks, I mean pennies. That's what they are. <laughs> so the budget on Venom, two thousand eighteen. So it's, this is a very recent budget. Was a hundred to uh, one hundred sixteen million. That's not a lot. That is not a lot. That is not a and lot. And you feel it when you watch the movie, right? It does not feel like an expensive movie, it's, it's, does it? It, it, it? Especially when it comes to the script. Uh, I think all the money went on Tom Hardy and some CGI. Uh, and the box office from that... <laughs> are you ready for this? <laughs> I, 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 I can't even believe I'm about to say this. 856.1 million. It's insane. That's too much. 800. 56.1 million. That is... Uh, right. Now, obviously, this movie has the benefit of um, Spider-Man Homecoming coming out the year before. Yeah. And the MCU turbocharged and supercharged people's interest in Spider-Man. So it, it does have some benefit from that. But that figure has got to be, for my money, Will, and for everyone else's money, a mm. reflection of people's um, excitement about Venom. Yeah, there is a you lot know, of following that- about Venom. It's, uh, but I, I didn't expect this time to be that much. I mean, you had the Amazing Spider-Man made uh, cost twice as much to make. That was in 2012, uh, but bought in just under that. I mean, this is insane. I mean, I always, mm. always considered Venom to be more of a niche character than Spider-Man. You know, not as well known. Let's 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 not forget Tom Hardy is a is a, is a name. He's a name that draws. He, you know, he's a he's a he's got pulling power in more ways than he's one. He's got. Yeah, he's got a box office draw behind him. Um, not like you know, not like someone coming off. Not like, you know, obviously not like Marky Mark. <laughs> um, not like Transformers draw, but, you know, coming off the Dark Knight and mm. and stuff like that. His name is, is out there, is someone to pay attention to. But, yeah, I think that it was deeply deep. I think, I think no one would be more surprised than the people that made this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got, I've got so much to say about this film. i got so much to know. say. So what can you tell us then about about this new 
I don't know, this new start from Sony Pictures. Well, basically, <laughs> they meant it. Because so you've got to remember, I say to you, you've got to remember, you know everything. Uh, you've got to remember, guys, that uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, even though Spider-Man appears in the MCU, he's still under ownership from Sony. Which is why we were really worried that we would never get to see Spider-Man fight alongside the Avengers, and why uh, what led to a very uh, clenching moment when Sony decided after Spider-Man: Far From Home, they went, "No, you can't, you can't use Spider-Man anymore." There was a fallout, a disagreement in terms of contract, and uh, I tell you, I tell you why. I think a lot of PlayStations got smashed up. After that happened, <laughs> a lot of TVs got smashed in. Yeah, I, 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 I was very upset with that. But apparently it's all been sorted, hopefully. Uh, basically, this film, Venom, was supposed to be in the same universe as Spider-Man Homecoming. And I guess uh, they're in, by extension, the MCU. No. It wasn't. No. I thought it was. No. No. Okay, so here's what happens. Okay. Sony Pictures announce that Venom will be, you know, in the same kind of universe as Spider-Man Homecoming, adjacent to it, because we own both of them. And so they don't say MCU, but that's what they mean. They're like, hey, guys, well, we can... And then (laughs) Marvel Studios make an announcement that says, (laughs) calm down, calm down, Felicia. (laughs) That's not happening. (laughs) This is not a part of the MCU. Sony, you get get excited. I know you haven't said that, but you're trying to leech our, you know, our popularity. We see you. We see what you're doing. Check your mouth. And then Sony kind of start to backtrack with this, Oh, well, yeah, Spider-Man might appear because we own... uh, And Marvel put their foot down and say, "Mm, no, he's not going to be in that movie. No. There's a a cut scene on the the editing room floor. Do you know who's in the scene? Who? It's Spider-Man. But I thought you were going to say who the actor was playing Spider-Man. Well, Tom Holland, obviously. But I'm saying... They they shot Tom Holland in a scene to make a guest appearance in this movie, and uh, yeah, certain lawyers were called, and it ended up not going ahead to not sour the relationship with Marvel. Wow, it's a very strange. It's a very strange. So, what kind of what were they hoping to achieve? Then, what kind of universe? What what were they trying to do? I think I think they were just trying to strong arm their way into the MCU. I, I th- or they wanted yeah. to. I, I think they wanted to ride on the back of the success of Tom Tom Holland Man's uh, Spider Man, Tom Tom Holland yeah. Man. They want. I, I reckon they just wanted to include that so people get more excited and they could just. Sort, I, I reckon it was a weird uh, foot in the door that where the door w- wasn't really open. If that makes sense. It's definitely shady. It was incredibly <laughs> dodge. It's it's yeah, but this is not. I mean. The, as this movie is coming out, they're announcing other stuff as well, aren't they? Yeah, this is this is going to be the thing. I, I I think this is because of this happened. It looks like it's going to be <laughs> part of its own mini cinematic universe uh, because, of course, you've got the second uh, Venom film coming out. I believe that's next year. 
Next, allegedly, allegedly, yeah, if, next six films. If, if the if the world is still here, the world, yeah. well, the world is still here. Have you seen the rates on those vi- on those uh, vaccines? Leave it, leave it. <laughs> I know. I'm being hopeful. This is escapism. This is escapism. We're not talking about that. Esca- <laughs> this is a weird. Fo- I want to hear two white lads talk about films. <laughs> that isn't Kermode yeah. and Mayo. Uh, <laughs> This is yeah, it's escape. Anyway, so basically, this was going to be its own mini universe. You, you're going to have uh, Venom sequel next year, and uh, as well as this, they were going to tie in another uh, character, Morbius. This is, yeah, the living vampire. I was going to say uh, living vampire, but I wanted to make sure. I was like, it is Morbius the living vampire, not Mephisto the living yeah. vampire. That's a different one, isn't it? No, no. Um, there's also Silver and Black, which was green lit and was under production and then halted and then perhaps separated into two films they were going to take two other spider-man supporting characters black cat and silver sable wow and have a movie dedicated to them but that is not happening anymore wow so this was their plan at the end of the amazing spider-man 2 at the end of amazing spider-man 2 sony pictures wanted to because of the success of the mcu they they do not know what they're doing. They don't understand. They just think you can just keep doing characters, right? <laughs> so they they look at the one Marvel superhero they've got. Yeah. And yeah. they say, how can we turn one superhero into eight movies a year or four or whatever Marvel are doing? How can we do four movies a year on one character? That is horrible. And their plan was... To take all of Spider-Man's supervillains and do movies about them, so they ended. There was this. I don't remember. They showed aspects of the Sinister Six in in the Amazing Spider-Man Two, hmm. and that was the plan. We were going to get a five, six supervillain movies, and then they were like, "Oh!" And so it all got rebooted with uh, with the with the MCU deal. Hmm. Sony's plan didn't change. Now they are committed to making spin-off movies about Spider-Man supporting characters and villains without Spider-Man in any of the movies. Morbius, a Spider-Man villain, will not contain Spider-Man. The Venom movie cannot have any connection to Spider-Man. This is this is apparently still their plan. That's, Supporting characters and villains. That's that's the most kneecapped film I've ever heard of. Yeah, we've got a taste of it in this one. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, um, I don't suppose there's any big fans of it out there. I tell you what though, despite despite like eight 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 hundred fifty whatever million dollars made, re- yeah. re- reviews were bad. Reviews yeah. were incredibly bad. This supports a few things, right? Mm. This supports the idea that, uh, so so what happens with with movies that the the production company think are bad? They will will we we're, we're already in discussion about a couple of these uh, in with with episodes that are in production further down the line. When a production company sees a finished movie and believe doesn't believe in it and thinks it's bad. They cut the spending for the promotion of the movie, right? Because mm. they don't want to throw good money after bad. They resign themselves to the fact that a bad movie cannot make money. 
That is stupid and insane because, quite frankly, most mo- money-making movies are bad movies. Yeah, I, right. I've seen Transformers too. No, uh, there, are, there, are, there are those tipping points where, like Cats, oh. where all people talk about is how bad the movie is, right? Yeah. But by and large, people go if if the trailer's good. Uh, and it looks interesting or whatever. You go into the movie, and if it's bad, if they've still got your money, you know, you don't go see it a second time. But that's about it. Uh, what bugs me immensely about this is that eight hundred and fifty-six point one million dollars shows you the appetite for the Venom character. Yeah, if they had just worked harder, <laughs> if they had just done it, imagine if this movie was in the MCU. This could imagine. I, I tell you what, it, the, the jokes would have landed better. Well, not even in the MCU. Forget about that, because I know there are people that perhaps don't like that and want a different tone. Mm-hmm. Fine, fine. I mean, just imagine if they'd worked harder at it. It would have um, been brilliant. I, I think it would have been. It would have had to have a lot of uh, Spider-Man in it, though. They would have needed Spider. It would it could, probably could have served as a Spider-Man sequel, like Spider-Man Three did, but without the whole. Oh, we're going to put Venom in at the last minute because that what drives the toy sales. Yeah, uh, and it's a testament to what a fundamentally hugely popular character. Yep, Venom is. Oh, totally. Well, let's take a trip now behind the page and um, let's get into it, Will. Let's get into this incredibly popular character. Um, that has that has really dominated our, our our three episodes here. The lineage to get to this Venom episode, uh, to get to the character, comes from Marvel's first ever crossover superhero event, The Secret Wars, mm. which we've covered in our bonus episode. It goes through the alien costume saga in The Amazing Spider-Man, which we've covered in, in the Spider-Man 3 episode. To briefly recap, as part of a new partnership with Mattel Toys, Marvel needed to grab a lot of attention during the Secret Wars, so they decided to completely change Spider-Man's costume. (laughs) The design from the early 60s replaced by an all-black suit with a giant white spider on the front, Minimalist, eye-catching, immediately iconic. Uh, but as we as we discovered in our Spider-Man three episode, Marvel Comics didn't come up with that idea or that design. Originally, that's created by a a a Marvel comic book reader fan um, who submitted the idea to an open submission competition. A young man called Randy Schuller from Illinois created this all-black costume, and a series of new abilities to give Spidey a power upgrade. (laughs) Marvel bought the idea and the design from uh, Randy Schuller for $220. What a bargain. What's the box office take on this movie? 856.1 million. For an investment of two hundred and twenty dollars, not bad. That's how you get <laughs> not played. Bad. That's how you get played. In Randy's original concept, things were a bit different. The costume wasn't black and white; it was jet black. But the giant spider was actually red. Mm. Um, 
and it wasn't it was something that was created for Spider-Man by the Fantastic Four. Ah yes. Uh, by Reed Richards. We talked about that. Randy Schuller spoke to the comic book press um a few years late a few years ago, not many, many years after it all happened. And 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 he said uh, around the time of Spider Man it was after Spider Man three and all that, he was disappointed to never be acknowledged by Marvel when Spider Man three came out. Yeah. Um he, he wasn't you know, he said he wasn't after money, but he wanted a credit like other comic book cre- creators receive in the credits of a movie, you know, Spider Man created by <clears throat> is is what what appears. I mean, Randy's being a little naive there. <laughs> to give him that credit would entitle him to some type of ownership and royalty share, which is never going to happen. Um, yeah, that's what happens. I'm afraid, you know. Yeah, you work for hire. That's why you need um, lawyers. You need to lawyer up when you when you do things with anything. But what appeared in Secret Wars. As you'll you'll be able to know from our bonus episode, was very different to what Randy came up with in his idea. The costume design itself was altered by superstar artist Mike Zeck, and um, writer slash editor Jim Shooter, the man who brought the idea from Randy, completely changed the the concept from that Fantastic Four idea. Hmm. Now Peter Parker gained the new costume. On a bizarre alien world during the middle of a cosmic battle. It's a costume that responds to his thoughts and produces webbing out of nowhere. And, and when Pete returns to Earth after Secret Wars, he, he brought the new costume with him back to Earth. Unbeknownst to Pete, the black costume is alive. It would move around of its own free will when Pete wasn't looking. When he slept, the costume would sort of <laughs> suck Peter inside and then jump out the window and take him web splitting around the city, leaping and jumping <laughs> and fighting criminals. As soon as Pete discovers the new costume is actually an alien parasite feeding from him, he had Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four imprison the, the parasite using sonic weapons. Mm. Um but the alien symbiote wasn't finished with Pete. It escaped captivity, forced itself uh, onto Pete's body again, and would not let go. Pete was trapped inside the costume, knowing it's only a matter of time before this parasite fully bonds with him, which is a very dangerous situation. Um, so Spidey uses the sonic waves mm. of um, loud sonic waves of church bells to hurt the symbiote and seemingly kill it. Even after killing the the symbiote, Spider Man wasn't done wearing the 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 old black and white. The costume uh, had proven to be this iconic fan favorite, um, as well as being a way for Marvel to sell a ton of new Spider Man merchandise. Will hmm. y- y- you got a Spider Man action figure? Well, that's the old costume, kid. Better go and harass mum and dad to get you the new action figure. Um, you got the the Spidey design on a baseball cap, poster, jacket. That's the old red and blue. You got to get with the eighties. You know, <laughs> it's yuppie. It's the it's the fast paced yuppie time. It's cell phones and it's you know black and white Spider Man. You got to go and get that new design on something. So 
Instead of um, reverting to the old costume, Peter Parker spends most of the 80s wearing a black and white costume, but one made of regular, Mm. you know, earth material and cloth, not another living creature stretched over his skin (laughs) in a creepy way. It's now time to introduce you and the Marvel vs. Marvel journey to one of the most important figures in modern comic book history, Todd McFarlane. Oh, yes. Todd McFarlane would become one of a handful of artists to completely change the comic book and the superhero industry in the 1990s with Image Comics. Uh, and, and, And McFarlane were going on to have the most successful creator-owned comic book in history. And and he'd parlay his superhero work into a series of, of very successful toy and media companies that would amass him one of the biggest fortunes in the comic book industry. So they reckon it's around $300 million this guy's sitting on. Um, uh, McFarlane gained a lot of attention drawing Batman and, and the Incredible Hulk in the 1980s. But he would really start to gain stardom as the artist on the amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man's flagship comic book at Marvel. McFarlane became the first artist since John Romita in, in the 70s to redefine the art style of Spider-Man. So, yes, yeah, Spidey gets a costume change before McFarlane comes on board, but the art style, the way the character is drawn is still echoing what Ramita did in the 70s. And that was the first change since Ditko in the 60s. And and the next guy in line is is, is McFarlane. Um, I'm going to just send you some now, Will, so you can take a look at what we're Let's talking about. Look. Um, it, it, it's... You know, it's so iconic, I don't know if it will seem different to you, because it is, and it's influenced so much since then, um, that this might be what people think of. McFarlane, he, 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 has, he retains some of these 60s sensibilities of Steve Ditko mm. in, in thin, <clears throat> thin kind of lithe Spider-Man, but he gave it a dynamic macho spin. McFarlane's Spider-Man... Is is a hyper athletic contortionist. <laughs> Look at the way he is perched and, and crouched. Can you see that there? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's 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 uh he's showing off his some arms, guns. So like his but but like his arms are down by his feet and he's crouched in this. I don't know how to describe it. Like almost like a monkey position. Yeah, right? if a monkey's perched on a tree branch, um, he crouches inside webs. McFarlane loved to draw Spider Man hanging upside down even in like domestic situations a lot of where you know that iconic kiss that pete and mj have in the first spider-man film Hmm. you know that that whole spider-man hanging upside down is like a a mcfarlane trope he he loves that position um because it's a completely unique and different way of positioning the character when you're presenting him yeah no other superhero will do that ever ever Oh no! And in a, in a crowded marketplace, that's an incredible way. It's an interesting and visually dynamic way of doing it as well. McFarlane's Spider-Man 
doesn't just swing like Tarzan on a rope. He hurls himself through the air. He twists his body. He corkscrews in midair like an acrobat. Mm. Think of that, uh, of all the modern Spider-Man video games. Yeah. In which you don't, you know, in the old side-scroller, what would you do? You hold onto like a rope and you swing side to side. Yeah, right? it, it, it's in a pretty straight simple. Line. Yeah. As soon as like the PlayStation 2 came along and they were able to kind of have bigger worlds and... You know, you had this character that leapt off a building and like soars through the air and spins and twists, and that's that's all how McFarlane drew. You'd have this incredible double-page spread of Spider-Man kind of horizontal in mid-air as he kind of like is just twisting around to the next web to grab. McFarlane, you take a look at the webs in, in that in that piece. He he hmm. transformed Spidey's webs from a, a series of lines. That nobody paid attention to into like a hyper detailed intricate design of a web that 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 takes up negative space on the page but makes it gorgeous to look at oh yeah it's nicknamed the spaghetti web because of you know how it's all these different strands clumped together um and and McFarlane's spider-man was a real sensation not surprised um it, it, it set the comic book world on fire, gained popularity. When Marvel created a brand new Spider-Man title just for Todd McFarlane, they created what was called, you know, Spider-Man's main title is called The Amazing Spider-Man. McFarlane is so popular and gaining so much kind of uh, influence that Marvel, to appease him and keep him on board, they go, right, we're going to launch a brand new comic book called just spider-man todd write it draw it do whatever you want with the comic pretty much you know with the reason the first issue of spider-man sold over 2.5 million copies that's not just double the readership that amazing spider-man had that's quadruple the readership wow spider-man had at the time you know and, and and that kind of popularity gets you amazing influence Oh, totally. um, and one of the things McFarlane wanted to do on Spider-Man was ditch the black and white costume. Todd McFarlane hated the black and white; couldn't stand Did it. Did he see it as a marketing gimmick? He doesn't. He's never said why. Oh. Um, Is this some kind of closely guarded secret, or just a really shallow opinion? It's hard to tell. <laughs> Here's what. Here's what he's gone on record as saying right. when talking about the creation of Venom. Tom McVarlane said, I didn't want to draw this black costume. It meant nothing to me. Mm. I wanted to draw the original red and blue. So they said, Todd, if you come on at issue 298, we promise that maybe we can get rid of it. And I go, well, okay, but let's just get rid of it fast. <laughs> I do... Issue 298, he's still in the black. Issue 299, still in the black. Issue 300, I want to do the red and blue, but no. Issue 300, he's still in the black. So finally, I did a character. I ripped the old black and white costume off Spider-Man. I did this character called Venom. I handed it to David Michelin, the writer, and said, here you go. To me, the origin of Venom is... How the hell 
do we get this goddamn black costume off Peter Parker? <laughs> and he literally I mean, did got it off of him, yeah. Literally. That's dis- that's dismissive, man. That is dismissive. That's not what you want to hear from a superstar fan favorite artist about the creation of a fan favorite character. It's like you want to like- hear I was about to say it's like when they talk to David Chase about the Sopranos ending, and he's just like he just doesn't he just pretty much tells people to shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just doesn't. It, he has no connection or attachment to the character. Yeah, it's like I, I wanted to do something. You know, I, I wanted to do that <laughs> exactly. So, so four years after, after Spider-Man thought the alien symbiote was destroyed, he starts getting stalked by someone mm. and attacked by someone who doesn't set off his spider sense. Um, worst of all, it's not Spider-Man getting attacked; it's Peter Parker, ah. right? So, so that's 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 deeply concerning. Um, one time, he's waiting for a subway, um, and an unseen figure shoves Peter Parker in front of the train. Ooh. Doesn't set off his spider sense. Another time, he's climbing out of a window at night to then change into the costume. And go be Spider-Man, and an arm reaches from the darkness, grabs him, and 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 throws him around. And Pete is completely, you know, completely freaked out by who this could be. This this build-up had been done without Marvel actually having the final piece of the story in place. <laughs> so they spend like three or four issues on the mysterious stranger who can attack, who knows his identity. And doesn't trigger his spider sense and is stalking him. But they don't know who that's going to be. <laughs> they haven't finalised it. They're approaching this milestone issue 300 of Amazing Spider-Man. That's a big number. Mm. They need a big villain uh, to make the issue special. They want a new villain. And that's what the stalker is going to be. That's what they're driving to. Um, according to writer David Michelin, he suggested a villain consisting of the alien symbiote grafted onto the body of a woman a woman seeking revenge for the death of her husband and her miscarried baby who would have accidentally died as like the unseen unfortunate event of spider-man battling a supervillain somewhere in new york like it's just a you know casualty of war kind of deal Mm. um but that did not go over well with the Marvel editors and bosses. They thought it was, you know, um, culturally insensitive and and would would have a lot of like a moral backlash. Okay. So, uh, the editors said to to Michelin, "You can do most of the story, but you've got to change like who the who the who the guy is. We can't do that woman and that you know unborn child and all that kind of stuff." So. Michelin then devised the Eddie Brock identity. Um, Michelin and McFarlane dispute who created Venom. Okay. Like, massive, massively. Uh, Michelin claims that he had already sold the stories and the concepts to Marvel before McFarlane even came on board with Amazing Spider-Man. Like, the whole thing. The name Venom, it was going to be the symbiote. He'd done it all before McFarlane came on board. That jars massively with what McFarlane says, uh, which is that I just wanted to get rid of the black costume, so I took it and I put it on someone else, <laughs> and I called him Venom. This feels very much like the old disputes between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, yeah. right? We had all these discussions about 
who created what back in the in the sixties. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. And these debates roll around quite a lot when it comes to creation of characters. Um, <laughs> uh, Michelin even wrote a letter to a comic book industry magazine called Wizard, and publicly in the letter column disputed because Wizard wrote an article and called McFarlane the co-creator of Venom Mm. and Michelin wrote this letter and was like I don't know who you're talking about because there's only one creator of Venom and it's me Ooh, slamming down and he was like oh he was like McFarlane simply redesigned like took a black cost he didn't invent the costume he didn't invent the symbiote he didn't invent this he didn't invent that what did he do he put a costume on a new person and I created the new person Anyway, whatever the true behind-the-scenes events that led to the creation of Venom, Venom was a hit. You know, right, not quite right from the get-go, but he was a hit. In in the 90s, he went from being one of Spider-Man's popular villains to being the insanely popular star of his own comic book series. Um, in, In 94, he gets his most high-profile appearance uh, as the symbiote saga is adapted to the Spider-Man cartoon series, which we, last time we talked about it, we discussed it was the number one children's program in America for like two years. Mm. It's a hugely, hugely popular series. It's meant to be just a two-episode story, but Venom is so popular, it becomes a three-episode story. It's the highlight of the first season of that cartoon. Eddie finds this whole new audience and and is released as, as part of the mega successful toy line attached to um to the cartoon series. And and from that point on, Will, every Spider-Man project includes Venom in the conversation. Really? Every single cartoon series they did, Venom will be there because he's the, one of the top villains top characters every single video game venom is there as one of the bosses or someone you can play as you know every toy line venom is involved and included well that's the only Um, reason i know about venom is because of the video games that's the thing i i I know stuff like this because of the video games yeah uh, he, he he just there aren't many outside of the classic crop in Spider-Man that have been able to become this like if you think of Spider-Man's top villains right it's a group of characters created by Stan and Steve in the early 60s mm. and then it's Venom in the 1980s and that's that um, um, and Kingpin I guess Kingpin in the 70s uh, because of the um because of the cartoon series and all of that Kingpin is considered, but you you go from like this group of like twelve iconic sixties villains, Kingpin in the seventies, Venom in the eighties. That's it. <laughs> no one else is getting into the the VIP club. Um. So yeah, that is what takes us right the way up to Spider Man three, and and takes us right the way up to where we are with this movie here on the docket. The, the the Venom movie. Yes. And it, we, we see how much he means to so many people. And speaking of which, Will, I think you've got some uh, some uh, 
thoughts from the, the the Venom fans sat with you? They their their thoughts are incredibly loud and have been heard by both of us. We got uh, Dave Fensom here. Who said, uh, was a big fan of Venom when introduced in the comics. I read them about a year after they came out. Loved the way it all tied into Secret Wars, which was the, the first major Marvel thing I read as a kid. I always thought that Venom worked best as a straight-up revenge story. The idea that both the symbiote and Eddie Brock hated Spider-Man slash Peter and knew everything about him made him like the ultimate stalker. Think 90s Marvel obsession with anti-heroes and endless offshoots pretty much diluted everything that was good about it. And at this point, it was just a bit of a dead concept. I watched the movie and thought it was pretty risible, but uh, was watchable in a B-movie way. Venom with no Spider-Man just seems a bit pointless, though. Oh, thank you for that, Dave. I mean, you certainly echo what a huge amount of, of people have said to us about Secret Wars. It being, especially in the UK, it being... Um, one of one of the, you know if you're of a certain age in the 1980s it was probably your first introduction to marvel because they had this huge marketing push as we talked about the toy line was what was it was really all about the comics were there to support the toy line along the way the comics became absolutely iconic laid this groundwork for the infinity saga it, it, you know that, that really is a, an important uh, cultural Touchstone, I think, for a lot of mm. Marvel Marvel fans of a certain of a certain age. <laughs> I mean, I I don't I don't I I personally I think I I I agree with Dave. Um, I don't think the character works when he stops being a Spider Man antagonist. Personally, I think he works absolutely best as a villain, and I can accept him as sort of like this antagonistic character that sometimes works with Spider-Man sometimes mm. wants to kill him but I, I never bought him as a, as a as a solo guy on his own really yeah it's it's like a yin yang character isn't he he's got you got to have something to bounce off if he's if he's the, the one with everything bouncing off him it doesn't work he ba- it, it, yeah it's, it's a character that works in opposition um and opposition characters are very difficult when you and there's a there's a reason these characters like it's so difficult for a for a company because these characters are so popular because of how they've been presented to the audience because there's nobody else like that character you've never seen much of them and when you haven't seen much of them you want to see more the yeah. problem with that is as soon as you start showing more to the audience it starts to dilute what's special about them. This is the um, thing with like breakout characters and like one-off characters. You got to really know what the right amount is. There are so many that that work as people who just pop up every now and again. It's like, hey, okay, it's that guy. Okay, now they're gone. I've had my fill. Good. It, that getting that balance absolutely. is and key. The vast majority of the time, the audience don't know that. Yeah. They just know. I love that. I want more. And then when they get more. It, the blooms off the rose it's not quite as cool as it was and which is exactly why they should never have done a nick tortelli uh, spin-off show from cheers well listen if we could just spend more time talking about carla's ex-husband from cheers <laughs> i think that would really make this show <laughs> um, come back carla who who else you got in the mailbag will uh, i have got uh, jordan uh, is it is it du- 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 
Sure. Or Duchamp. You're reading it, not me. Okay, I, I, I thought you were the expert with words. Uh, he says, he was awesome in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which was my intro to him. I feel like the movie was totally botched and the weird comedy with a weird comedy angle. He's just murdering dozens of people and cracking wise. Big miss for me. Still, League's better than the Venom introduced in Spider-Man 3. Believe it or not, Tom Hardy is a more convincing Venom than the skinny snarky guy from that 70s show. <laughs> we we heard a lot of people yeah. not 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 enjoy the comedy aspects of this and think it was a bit out of place. I have to say, I don't think he murders dozens of people. Yeah, I don't think that happens. I mean, um, dozens of people get murdered, but not by venom. But not by venom, I don't think. No, but I, th- I think Riot got a, well. Spoiler alert! I think Riot got a got a big bigger kill count. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that the is that the sack empty now, Will? Sack has been depleted. Well, you know that what you're getting from us here is the third part of an epic uh, odyssey. That's what I want to call it, the Venom Odyssey. Um, Ooh. That's and you're getting it for you're getting it for free, and that's a sin. And you know it's a sin. You know it's wrong. You know it's dirty, right? It is, as we said before, guys, as we've said before, it is perfectly okay for you to listen to a 20-minute podcast from a couple of people talking about what's happened in their week or what they've seen on the news or the telly. That's not theft. You're doing them a favour. You're doing them a favour to listen to whatever they're talking about. Absolute bobbins. (laughs) This show... Is we sweat over this show. We work. We pour in hours. We pour in blood. We pour in tears to conceive, to write, to watch, to research, to compile, to record. You're talking shows that are an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, three hours, three and a half hours. You get that for free. Something's wrong in the equation. And it's not on our end. Guys, it's on your end. You can't be taking it. This is just you got to do the right thing, and you can do the right thing by heading to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. P A T R E O N slash Marvel versus Marvel, and that's how you reward yourselves. Yes. It's not about us. It's not about us. But th- you know. You need to feel better about what you do because we know you feel guilty. It's natural. It's only natural. And when you're there, you can put the cash, the cheddar, our way to help pay for all the work that's done, all the hosting costs, all the storage costs, everything that needs to be paid for. You can help contribute towards and you can also get access to some incredible bonus episodes as well. And this month we've welcomed on board some brand new VIEPs. They're not just very important people. They're executive producers of the show. Yes. At that top tier. That makes them VIEPs. Um, Kyle Knobloch, welcome aboard. Flopperator, welcome aboard. Zach Harrett, Danny D, The Craze. Got a title. Got a title. (laughs) Those are some brand new VIEPs to the Marvel versus Marvel circle. They get uh, they get not just early access to these shows on a Friday, but they get 
all those wonderful bonus episodes that are knocking around. Uh, Danny D writes in to say, I've held off on joining the Patreon for a while now, but after binging every single episode, and Will, I love to read that. (laughs) I love to read that. After binging every single episode, I realised there was only one way to get more. (laughs) Are you ready for this, Will? I'm ready. I had to do the right thing. Yeah. He knows. He, he knows. knows. He knows. It's not just a catchphrase. It's 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 a, it's an ethical mantra. It's a way of living your life right. Do the right thing. Danny D says, I'm so glad I did eight episodes for me to start binging. And he's right. There are eight bonus episodes for you to get your teeth into on the Patreon and more coming every month. I started... Oh, okay. I started the bonus episodes with Secret Wars so I could get the full Venom story as it came out. What a crazy story. What a crazy world it was back in the 1980s. Danny D, we salute you. Welcome aboard, VIEP. That means you can tell us what you want to see from us. You can get in touch. Let us know if you want to see uh, us cover a, a different kind of Marvel project. Fuzzy Dunlop got in touch. He's been around for a while, Fuzzy Dunlop. Might not have been right from the start, but yeah, maybe it was from the start. Fuzzy Dunlop yeah, might be one yeah, of that, our OGs. Yeah, I, I, that, that, does, that does sound familiar. Fuzzy says, uh, with England going back into lockdown, I just wanted to write to you guys. I Sorry, I just wanted to write you guys a message and say thank you. This podcast was one of the awesome things that got me through the last lockdown I'm grateful you're still here for the new one. Please don't go anywhere. Keep making the show. Believe well, we're not. We're not going anywhere. If if you keep supporting us, Fuzzy, like you have done for a long while now, we appreciate that. We see you. We love you. That's how we keep making the show. You guys reaching out and letting us know. Um, you can drop us uh, some, you know, textual love. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com. You can tweet us some love. On Twitter, Marv at Marvel Versus. But the best way to get recognized and to cleanse your soul is to head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Cleanse your spirit. Become a V-I-E-P if that's what you can do with yourself. Yes. Um and uh and 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 just know that you're you're Paying for media like you know you should. Like you know you should. We're better than Netflix. You can't deny that. <laughs> you can't deny we're better than Netflix. Oh, totally, totally. I, I will definitely want us to take on Netflix. <laughs> Even <laughs> for just the PR. So, Will, it is the 2018 Tom Hardy movie, Venom, that is on the docket and lies before us today. Please... It- as only you can, can you guide us through this movie and uh, and ask the questions? I think it's the most uh, current film we've done yet as well. Yeah, I think you're right. So I'm not exactly dusting off the uh, VHS here. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of ra- <laughs> peeling off the DVD wrapping. <laughs> no, taking the laser disc out of the box. Come taking, on. Taking, taking the laser disc out of the box. Come on. That's Uncle how we Billy update things. Film. Yes. Anyway, we're pressing play. While exploring space for new habitable worlds, 
a probe belonging to the Bioengineering Corporation Life Foundation, discovers a <coughs> comet covered in symbiotic life forms. The probe returns to Earth with four samples, but one escapes and causes the ship to crash in Malaysia. One of the astronauts survives, but is infected with the escape sample. On the way to the hospital, the body of the astronaut springs to life, possessed by the symbiote, crashing the ambience and, es- and escaping. After reading a symbol from the astronaut's torn clothes, the symbiote and its host set their sights on the Life Foundation. So, the start of this film feels like one of the many Alien sequels. Uh, you know, one of the new <laughs> ones. Well, like Alien Covenant had the same kind of uh, tone to it. It it very much has that 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 introduced idea that um, <clears throat> unknown alien life form from the dark, you know, is 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 this horrible threat, which is not not really like an, a venom thing, is it? Really, I and mean, we saw in Spider Man Three, mm. you pointed out that it was very much in line with things like the the blob, yeah, and and those other kind of fifties. You know, schlock, grindhouse, <laughs> B movie, B movie things. I love it? that word. I love that word, schlock. Schlock. It's just you know, it's derivative, whatever the word is. <laughs> is it derivative or derogative? I, well, you create a new one. Uh, derogatory. I try to go down both roads at the same time. It do, it does. It has this. It has this schlock. It has like modern schlock. It's like that was old schlock, and this is new schlock. This is. Like, oh ev- yeah, alien alien covenant is total schlock nonsense. Yeah, I I remember seeing that. There, there was only two bits of that film I liked, and one of them was at the end where he goes, "I'm going to take care of the children now." And I knew that twist was coming, and I burst out laughing. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought the <laughs> ending was schlocky, cheesy fun. Uh, the rest of it was a bit. What mm. what's what's that Stephen King film where there is a whole. And sort of the family in a car. It's always a family in and Stephen King films. There's, the, there's, like, there's, there's, there's the mist. Is it, the, is it called the happening? There's mist and there's aliens attacking in front. Of, uh, I always thought mist. it was the fog, but that could be a John Carpenter film. That's, that's a John Carpenter film. I don't know. There's it could Stephen, be the mist. A, or the happening. There's a Stephen King film where all that. It's not. That, yeah, I think. I think it might be the, the happening. All that goes on, and this group of survivors have survived all these attacks from awful alien monsters coming out of the mist at them. And they're finally left gathered in this car. This is a total spoiler alert, but it's a terrible film. Don't worry about it. And um, I'm watching it with my best friend. And these people are gathered in their car at the very end. And they've, they've run out of gas, the petrol. They can't go anywhere. They're stuck. And they can hear all these horrible sounds from around them coming in. And they, they know what's going to happen. The mist is going to like descend on them. And they're all going to get horribly killed. Oh, I by think I've creatures. heard this one, but go on. So they, 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 they basically take out a gun. And they all just like kill themselves. Except for the last guy. Because there's only like you know three bullets and there's four of them. And the last guy is left. And he like bravely sacrificed not sacrificing himself. And like shooting his wife and all of that. And then right as the movie ends, the, the mist sort of clears. And like soldiers who have just killed all the aliens and saved the day arrive to save them. And they've just shot themselves. And that is meant to be this gut-wrenching final emotional blow at the end of the movie. It sounds as it. Soon as, that twist, as soon as that twist happened, me and my best friend, we burst out laughing. We're in fits of hysterics. <laughs> These people had taken their own lives five seconds before being saved. They're absolute idiots. <laughs> 
It was hilarious. I, I love I love a, I love a twist like that when the the people think it's like an earnest twist and they're just being an idiot. Oh, anyway, I like that. I like that. Enough and. Enough alien monster movies. Let's get back to Venom. Yeah, another thing I, I noticed was um, casting. Mona Lisa from Parks and Recreation is the scientist. Money, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted I wanted John Ralphio to come out of nowhere, <laughs> just going. It's the worst. <laughs> I got to rewatch all that show, but because of that casting, I don't know what it is. I just I, just, I don't know if I could have taken the movie seriously after that. I was like. That's Mona Lisa. I don't, I don't, I... Poor girl, you're putting her in such a pigeonhole there, mate, aren't you? I know, but but she she just uh, she really reminds me of an ex as well. That same oh, same voice, here we go. same kind of face. Here we go. The hit count continues. No, oh. and the same kind of kind of voice as well. So I immediately I go. All I can think of that is start giggling. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, me. Couldn't I couldn't take it seriously? Um, also, uh, this is an interesting fact: the the astronaut at the start is credited as being. <laughs> wait for it, John Jonah Jameson the third. Uh, That's almost that is so. Weren't you saying in the Spider Man three episode? That it yeah. would have been a, a way be- way better if they tied that together. And it almost seems like, ah, yeah. oh, we did it, but it's too late. There's no connection to Spider-Man anymore. <laughs> it's not, it's, oh, God. It's not even a character. Yeah, yeah it, it, that was the fan theories leading up to Spider-Man 3's release were that Cap- astronaut John Jameson, Jonah Jameson's son... Mm. Who's like this famous character in the in the in the Spider-Man stories, and is an astronaut that he would like find a space rock and on it, and he bring it back to Earth, and that's how you get to do Venom as an alien without having to do Secret Wars. And they didn't do that; they just they had this awful crowbarred in, shoehorned in thing of it just falls out of the sky one night that's, that's <laughs> with so, no explanation. That's 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 just disrespectful. But yeah. Rob. We, we've talked about we've talked about uh, the alien symbiote so many times. Like, I mean, is this how the alien symbiote comes to Earth in the comic books? No, uh, it's not. I, 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 you know, we want to strike a balance here. Yeah, I like the idea that that, that people can what, listen to any of these episodes in a vacuum and still get the full picture. But yeah. also, we are saying this is very much part three of a of a three episode journey odyssey. Mm. But no. Um, the, the 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 black alien venom symbiote, which doesn't have the name Venom to begin with, comes to Earth, hitching a ride on the sweet sweet tushy of Mister Peter Parker. No, um, during the Secret Wars uh, massive crossover superhero event, Spider Man and all the other major heroes. Are, Man, isn't this a, like just as I start to redo it, Will? I'm starting to have these flashback and memories from that that bonus episode. How do you think we talk about? How do you think I feel having to ask the same question again? I look even more of an idiot. I'm having that flashback though of oh yeah, and Galactus does this, and then Ultron does that, and um, you know, so you get teleported to a, a, a an alien world called Battle World, Battle forced world. by a mad god to fight endlessly with these supervillains and and during this like year long event spider-man's costume gets uh, ripped and torn 
you know, like Men in Black. And it, 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 and then he has to find a replacement. <laughs> Sorry, that that that. It goes, that clothes yeah, didn't yeah. get shredded in Men. Of- oh, ripped torn. Very, <laughs> very good. Uh, and he he finds uh, he's told Spider Man is told there's an alien machine, alien technology on this battle world that will create any kind of clothing or costume you can think of that you want. So Spider Man goes in there. Doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. It's really subtle. These two parts of the Secret Wars that hint at what's to come are really subtle. Spidey doesn't know what machine to use. He thinks he's found the right one. He turns it on. He gets covered in this like liquid clothing that he thinks is material. And he gets this new black and white costume which responds to his mental commands and does all this other stuff. And then at the very, very end of this year-long story, Spider-Man's about to head home, and he's like, um, guys, do your new alien costumes, do they, <laughs> do they respond to your mental commands? And everyone, as it is very de rigueur for the Marvel Universe, other heroes are generally completely sick of Spidey because he's a bouncing, jabbering fool. <laughs> and they're like, for God's sake, Spider-Man, we're just trying to go home. No, of course our costumes don't obey our thoughts. What a stupid thing to say. And Spider-Man just pursues this no further and goes, why does mine do it then? <laughs> that is and, so, and I can imagine he... Peter, um, Tom Holland going, why does mine do it then? Yeah. Yeah. And and so Spider-Man is is transported home along with the rest of the heroes by Reed Richards and he does not know that his new clothing that he's wearing his new costume is actually a, an alien parasite feeding off his uh, his life force and his will and his emotions. Ooh. So yes, it it's also not how the other symbiotes that are in this movie get to where they are. Uh, but we've got talking points on that as as we go forward. I, I, I'm, yeah, that's going to come up later. Oh, there, because there, there are other symbiotes. We will cover that, but we will cover the rest of the film. Back to the film. In San Francisco, investigative journalist Eddie Brock reads about these human trials in a classified document in possession of his fiancée, Anne Whaling, an attorney preparing a lawsuit defense for the Life Foundation, Brock is assigned to interview Life Foundation CEO Carlton Drake and is warned by his editor not to screw up the interview and confront Drake with any controversial questions. But Eddie can't help himself, and during the interview, he grills Drake about the legal battle and the human trials. This leads to both Brock and Anne losing their jobs. Furious with Eddie, Anne ends their relationship. I... Fun fact about me, in 2012, for about seven months, I was a journalist. Uh, Not a very good one. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, I... I, I, Uh, Major major tabloid or local press? uh, (laughs) Online publication for uh, businesses. It was uh, for, for like, the big businesses, you know, like, you know, um, it was basically to do with infrastructure projects and private finance. I was confused because... I was confused because you said journalist and not blogger. It just threw me. I, I thought I was thinking of. Sorry, mate. Yeah, I, we've all done that. I, no, no. I actually had to go to like like posh business functions and wear a suit and try and talk to people. And I Ooh. was not cut out for it. Anyway, 
Uh, I wasn't cut up being of a joke, but the fact that he used confidential files gotten from logging into his fiance's email and then doesn't do further investigation to back up his rantings to the CEO of the company is <laughs> shockingly bad. All he can, okay, what you okay, he's found information and then he could have gone right. I need to like check my other sources or, or any any other any any other sources I can because this is this should be treated as off the record and that's incredibly bad. Yeah, yeah. To be to begin with, you think, oh, that editor getting in the way of a crusading journalist, and then you see Eddie's like process, and you're like, oh no, he should not be a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 is not following any of like the the, the fundamental ethics of journalism. Someone's, oh, someone's someone's watching that film and going, oh, that's what a journalist is. They're basically an Instagram influencer. <laughs> He's yeah. yelling at a camera. Yeah. He's yelling opinions at a camera, going, "Hey, why is big government doing this? We should sort it out." And it's like, "No, you." He's Alex Jones. He's just Alex he Jones. Alex it's Jones. just Infowars. Exactly. <laughs> he is Alex Jones. Oh God. And I, 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 I don't want to. I, I know we talk about these films, and if I don't like a film, you you have to give me like a forty-five minute chat of saying, "Will, I know you don't like this film, but you have got to be easy on it." I'm sorry, but. When he says, you love me, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> it's like, I just feel like there is such a big, like a, like a distance, a far cry from the MCU and how charming and brilliant its dialogue is. And this is just, feels very 90s. Adam Turek wrote to us uh, a brief little note. And, and he said that this film felt like a leftover script from one of the earlier attempts to make the movie, yep. like from the 90s. Yep, it does. It does. Or the early 2000s. And it that crystallised how I felt about it straight away. Yeah. Uh, straight away, I couldn't believe... I really couldn't believe any... any whether it's the action sequence, it's the pacing, it's mm, the dialogue, yep. <laughs> it's the it's the kind of the, the... The things that are left in is that are meant to be like... Yeah, and that's the cool line we end the scene on. <laughs> and you go, what? Yeah. Do you not want to take another stab at that, guys? And just to tidy it up and make it a bit more... I don't know. It just feels... Do you, do you... It, so so David S. Goyer, your mate, your fella, your lad, you know David S. Goyer, right? Wrote your three favourite films of all time, the, the, the Nolan fascist Batman series. Wow, um, don't frame he... it like that. <laughs> Not uh, David S. Goyer, tremendous. Like um, he he wrote Blade, all the Blade movies, the good ones and the bad ones. He doesn't discriminate. <laughs> <laughs> he is of he mixed talent. Writes, he writes a superhero until they tell him to stop. <laughs> that's what I love about him. And he's also written some 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 fun comics yeah. as well. He wrote um, a Venom. Uh, screenplay in 1997 the year before he sold or before Blade was moved I think he must have written it and un- sold it or tried to sell it at the same time as Blade if you told me and there's no evidence to suggest this is it but if you told me this is the same script as that one from 1997 I would have gone yeah it feels like it it absolutely feels like it it's it really does I mean with Blade I know that with Blade, there was a kind of like a B movie, uh, like like feel to some of it, and that was on purpose. But this, it's just like when they're trying to be like, you know, there's a difference between saying a joke, like a jokey line, and just going, "Whoa, I'll have what he's having," kind of 
cliched, yeah. smarmy. There's, there's too much of that in this, and I just go, oh, God, that was supposed to be the funny? Oh, no. <laughs> right, and that's, we've got it all out of our system now. There's more to come. Right. I'll pace it, though. There's no, more. no, no. We've got to purge. We've just got to not... No, we don't I mean, just... I'll come up with it later. Later, it's, it's. Oh God! Sorry, guys that love Venom. Sorry about I'm this. I'm sorry to upset both of you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think there's only. I think of all the messages we got, there's only two people that were like, <laughs> "I don't see what the problem's about. Why is anyone not like this film? It's fine." One person defended it and said, "It's it, it's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. It, it, you know, it's all right. You know, no one died. This is, no one died. This is 2018's it. one of many films. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I, won't, I won't. Okay. Anyway, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Let's go back. Let's go back to the real, the real terror behind this film. Eddie Brock. Uh, yeah. Is is he a journalist in the comic books? Because I remember you saying he used to lift weights, but you can do both at the same time. Although I can't think of a really studly journalist at the moment, apart from. Uh, I don't know. No. 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 Yeah. You see, once again, Will, you started saying something without knowing where it was going. <laughs> You've described my entire Twitch streams. <laughs> So Eddie Brock um, was a journalist mm. in, in, in Marvel Comics for the Daily Globe, which is the Daily Bugle's rival newspaper. And there's two major newspapers in New York, and the New York Times is not one of them for some reason. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the Daily Bugle and, and the, Daily, the Daily Globe. Mm. Uh, and it, so, okay, the Sin Eater. It is a serial killer that plagues New York in the in the mid nineteen eighties, and also masked. Also, sounds like a Judas Priest album. <laughs> maybe, Senator. maybe. There's a masked vigilante serial killer um, that went around murdering people that he thought had committed awful crimes or deserved killing. Um, mm. Kind of like a like, basically, it was a, quite similar to to Punisher, but instead of mob guys, he was really murdering. Quite innocent people. I, I would have gone with Kevin Spacey from Seven. Uh, no, no, because that that belies an amount of uh, mass intricacy. The city ah. to just shot people just with a gun. Oh no, heading boxes up, for him wasn't like an elaborate thing. Mm. Sp- Spidey and Daredevil are, are trying to put a stop to his kill spree. Eddie Brock, as like investigative journalist, publishes a story in the Daily Globe, exposing the identity of the Sin Eater and was briefly lauded with with fame and praise for for you know for solving the case, cracking the case. He exposed uh, uh, Emil Gregg as being this, this serial killer. But then, like, roughly the same day or the next day, Spider-Man captures the real Sin Eater and, and reveals the true identity of the Sin Eater uh, to be a, a, a New York police detective. And and that starts all Eddie Brock's troubles. Um, so that's his... Yeah, later, later stories fleshed out Brock's history um, as uh, he got into Empire State University, which is a Marvel University university. Same one that, that, that Pete goes to, but they went at different times. Brock was a star athlete, but decided to switch majors to journalism after reading the uh, the Watergate scandal expose <laughs> in, the, in the Washington Gazette. So that's uh, 
his journalism beginnings. The journalism beginnings. So you can see how the the, the, the tie in there, right? Oh yeah. Because part of Eddie Brock's problem with the Sin Eater story is that he doesn't check his sources and he doesn't check his facts and he doesn't corroborate things properly. He's very sloppy with it, which is reflected a little bit in the in the start of this movie. Although they don't portray him as being sloppy, they portray him as being a crusader with all this red tape getting in the way. Yeah, that, and, that, and that's how I stopped being a journalist as well, funnily enough. I really cocked up. <laughs> You exposed a serial killer that wasn't a serial killer. No, no, no. I accidentally said something that I should have uh, got cleared first. And uh, yeah, mm. that was fun. Yeah, it doesn't sound it. it does not sound that it. Was, that was the lowest point I've ever been in. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that, it was bad. Uh, Life Foundation. Let's, let's, get, let's get to Life Foundation. Uh, that is a very cliched name. Is that a name so, it's just, it's like so obvious that it's an evil company? I mean, even... Uh, we shall call ourselves the Life Foundation. What do you do? We murder people. I mean, it almost <laughs> but sounds... But we need to throw people off. It, it, it's, it's, it's within the same ballpark as the Umbrella Corporation from Resident Evil. It's, yeah. It's that kind of, oh, come on, that come on, guys. You know, you, you, can't, you can't be like, like as, as one of the gangsters in Batman the Animated Series said... Uh, was it the brighter the the brighter the image, the darker the negative? And that's all I can think when I think of these names. Anyway, so obviously it sounds like a cover for evil company. Are they a comic book creation, or is this something straight for the movie? It's it's a comic book, um, uh, yeah, comic book company. Ah. It, it it's so so interesting. You 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 bring up the Umbrella Corporation because I'm a big Resident Evil fan. Watching, big Resident Evil fan. Yeah, as I'm watching this. I'm remembering the terrible Resident Evil movies that are empty and stark. They are terrible. The sets, uh, they are. Can, can I just say... Oh, no, no. You, you, uh, I, I yeah. want to say something, no, no. but you finish what you're saying. Doesn't this feel like something in line with those Resident Evil movies? Yep. The the, the way the company is just like vaguely sciencey <laughs> but evil for no reason how are they going to make money from this uh the way the sets are done it's lots of very stark white corridors yep um it's sort of a hospital but not a hospital because it's a science and it, it, it so yeah sorry you want to say something? i was gonna i was gonna say a quick uh i've watched all six resident evil films i've watched the three cgi films which are way better and they are currently rebooting them. They're currently rebooting the live-action films, and from what I've seen, it's going to be more in line with the video game. However, it will probably be bad still. Well, there we go. I'm still watching the, them. The, the, the Life Foundation in the comic books is hmm. tons more interesting than what we see here. So they, they, they're introduced around the same time, the exact same time as the Birth of Venom story. It's, it's kind of... Because you've got those... Um, Three or four issues of just hinting at the stalker, and yep. they're introduced around that time, um, and they're described as corporate survivalists. Ooh, right? there's a term. So, survivalists in that uh, almost uniquely American people with lots of tin cans in a in a fallout shelter or a bunker, <laughs> six <laughs> generators. And you know, eighteen you know cans of petrol, um, which they will <laughs> yeah. insist they will insist on calling gas. Um, <laughs> you know that kind of, and I've got traps out in my back garden to catch any squirrels. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But 
but but like a corporate version of that. So they, this is a company uh, of incredibly rich, rich super elite that, that look at the Marvel Universe and go, any mad old crap could happen. <laughs> we, we, we need to be super prepared for like alien invasion, supervillain attack. We're not just survivalists preparing for, I don't know, the the local government to run out of money or something like that. Mm. We're sci-fi survivalists. <laughs> We're preparing for like a real end of days scenario and with some kind of justification. Like let's not forget Galactus nearly destroyed the entire world a few years ago. Yeah. Um we keep getting invaded. So so they've got tons of money, tons of resources uh, and so the the Life Foundation is dedicated to creating Doomsday-proof communities and fail-safes for the super-rich, super-elite of, of their group. Um, in, in the 80s, the minimum payment to join this group was 5 mil. Ooh. Um, just, to get, just to get on the books. Um, and Spidey keeps crossing paths with them. Because the majority of what they're trying to do when Spidey encounters them... Mm. Which is all um, Carlton Drake. He, he he's not a scientist. He's he's basically the leader of um, all their shady black ops stuff. I was going to say Elon Musk, um, but I don't know. That doesn't sound like too much. Like no, 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 no. no. no he, he's leader of all their shady black ops mm. stuff. Um, he 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 keeps. Um, so the first time Spidey meets him, he is trying to steal a kind of Iron Man exoskeleton tech to create super powered bodyguards and then Spidey battles them again when uh, Carlton Drake manages to get hold of um, basically the Sentinels from X-Men <laughs> of course ar- arranges for like you know the, the super rich to have their own personal Sentinels to protect them um, yeah so that's that's the Life Foundation it, it's, a, it's a much more interesting uh, setup and group hmm that is a pretty good good setup for the group. So, but I, I just I just can't get over the name though. I can't get over the name. It's you think someone down the line would have rebranded it into something a bit more life found or something like that. Yeah, maybe. But uh, don't forget that that in in the world of the Marvel universe, like we read everything as readers looking for supervillains everywhere but <laughs> if you just live in a you know, the life foundation you go that's a stupid everything supervillain coded get on with things. it's supervillain coded yeah. yeah 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 totally so at the live foundation they have recovered the other three uh, symbiotes and uh, transports them to their research facility in San Francisco where they discover that the symbiotes cannot survive without oxygen breathing hosts which often fatally reject the symbiosis. However, back in Malaysia, the uh, fourth symbiote, currently in control of one of the paramedics from the ambulance, stumbles through a market and ends up in a gang fight. The creature is able to extend a black liquid, which takes the shape of various weapons, stabbing and killing everyone in sight, including innocent bystanders. When the killing is over, the symbiote transfers itself to an old lady and leaves the market with her body. So this is the first scene in the film where they must have gone like, hey, look, innocent people dying. Isn't this much darker than the MCU? Woo! That's, how, that's the vibe I got with the sudden death and like, like you know. Do you think? Yeah, because yeah. it was very uh, gritty. 
I also don't think they went far far enough with the violence. I know they wanted to go with the twelve A and keep it, you know, going up, but they seemed like they were holding themselves back with violence. And I and I would have been okay with the violence, but I know you know want to have more people be able to see it. <clears throat> it's interesting because they they mm. talk they talk a big game about being um, not like the MCU and being darker. Yeah, and I I don't know. I'm not sure I I, I, I if I picked that up particularly. Um, it's certainly not like super morose like DC, um, mm. but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't know. I I feel like it wants to, it, it wants to be different from the MCU, but it wants to be the MCU at the same time. It's this weird. I don't know. That's that. That's that's what I got from from, yeah. from a lot of it. Um, they, they obviously don't want to stray too far because they do do want that kind of super profitable tie-in that's what they're after yeah i guess i i feel like they, they could have done themselves they want everyone that went to yeah. they want everyone that went to see spider-man homecoming to come and see venom that's, yeah that's that, 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 that makes total they don't sense shut anyone out but i think i i would have respected them more if they did a deadpool and went we're gonna go full on with this we're gonna do exactly you know as intended yeah I, but that's what i want and who cares what i want you know Exactly. Um, also, uh, Drake is played by the same actor who was Omar in Four Lions, the comedy film about the suicide oh, bomber. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah I, I, I haven't seen him in anything else, and I, look, I was looking at the actors, and I went, oh my God, it's him from Four Lions. Great. I, I love that film. It's a great film. There we go. Very depressing towards yeah, the very end. Very good film, yeah. Yeah, very good film. So... This fourth symbiote. Who is this deadly symbiote we're seeing here tearing through Malaysia? This seems important. He's quite driven um, in the comic books, but this is a symbiote called Riot. Riot! Uh, he, he's a proper laugh. Proper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this, um, this movie takes inspiration, really, from two Venom stories. Right. Uh, Lethal Protector, which is about Eddie Brock going back to San Francisco where he's originally born and raised mm. um, which is you know why we get it set in San Francisco and it's also based on a a, a storyline called Planet of the Symbiotes uh-huh. and um, Riot features very prominently, he first appears in Lethal Protector that's the very first solo comic book series for, for Venom and, and Riot is a new violent symbiote with no moral compass and no respect for life. And he, he travels with a group, sort of a family of symbiotes. Um, Agony, Phage, Lasher and Scream. Um, wow. Are they symbiotes or are they bands from the 90s? It's very hard to tell. They do fight. I, I was about to say they, they're either grunge bands from the '90s or uh, thrash metal bands from the '80s. Yeah, they're not grunge bands. They're definitely thrash metal bands. Yeah, yeah. I go with thrash metal. So. Um, he, he's he's appeared as uh, one of the bosses in the 1995 Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive game, uh, which was called Separation Anxiety. Venom Spider Man Separation Anxiety. So he's one of that lot. <laughs> one of them lot. So, God, I, I never played any Mega Drive games with Spider-Man in. I think I, the, the other day I was playing one of my emulators and I played uh, an Avengers game. <laughs> I played an Avengers game from the 90s and it wasn't good. 
wasn't good. Yeah, but again, like it's like when you watch movies from that, you can't, you can't, uh, 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 you can't really assess and judge them with a modern eye and a modern sensibility. I, I, I meant comparing to other games of the time. I was thinking like, oh, if right, you played okay, like Streets of, enough, it was similar to Streets of Rage two. But I can play Streets of Rage two over and over again. It's a fantastic game. I, I know the game you're talking about because it used to be uh, the arcade used to be in my local leisure centre, and I used to go and just cane coins on it all the time. Love it, uh, but it, 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 you know, it was almost not even about the gameplay to me. I can't tell you how exciting it was to be able to play as Avengers characters because no, there was nothing like it. It didn't. These characters like rarely existed in any other media. Hmm. None of my friends read comic books or had heard of these because there was it was American and it was like not there weren't really much on the newsstands and yeah. it, it was so yeah the gameplay might not have been good but I I can promise you I was there <laughs> going yes I'm playing as Hawkeye yes I'm playing as the Vision this is awesome yeah 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 I I I, I know how it is to slog through games that aren't that good because you are a loyal fan I've been there I've yeah. played I have played Resident Evil Six uh, so back to the film. Meanwhile, the lo- oh sorry, where am I? Sorry, I got my notes wrong. Got to shuffle them around. So, six months later, Drake's symbiosis trials are closer to success through one of the symbiotes. So, one of the symbiotes dies due to carelessness, unfortunately. Uh, through the trials, it's clear that a symbiote can only attach to another living being that's a biological match, like an organ transplant. Disregarding this evidence, uh, Drake orders the trials move from rabbits. To humans, one of the Life Foundation scientists, Dora, pleads with Drake to consider the ethics of exposing humans to the alien symbiote, but Drake ignores her concern. Uh, I feel like the uh, the failed human trial scene uh, wasn't horrible enough. Like I, I've seen scenes like this in many films and games uh, where, like, oh no, I've been infected, Ugh, and, it, and it can get really horrible. And, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want. I don't want to uh, be down too much in the movie. But I, again, I, I just wanted more out of it. I, I didn't feel like uncomfortable. I felt like, oh, okay, he's definitely dead. I, I think you're. Um, I think you're right in that idea that it's 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 kind of chasing that twelve A, isn't it? Yeah, it's chasing that twelve A certificate. It, it, it doesn't feel it can commit to um, to doing much more. You need more cracking noises when that stuff happens because that's the uncomfortable part. If you hear cracking and stuff, that's <laughs> that's that's the money. Yeah, yeah, but it, I don't, I, I never know what sensitive even pay attention to that kind of stuff. But yeah, I yeah, they right. probably go like, oh no, too uncomfortable. You could, you, otherwise, it'd be a fifteen. So back to the Life Foundation in the comics. Uh, do they actually have the same connection here? Do are they experimenting with symbiotes and, and the like? Because I, I I can imagine doing it from what you've told me. Okay, so um, in the comic books, the Life Foundation are responsible for creating all those symbiotes. Ooh, hello. The ones I just I just mentioned, Phage and Riot and Scream and all of that. They mm. they didn't come from space. They were created by the Life Foundation, and Venom is their mommy. Ooh, hell, what? Like like they they nicked some of the DNA and just went okay, children. So, so during Lethal Protector, after Venom interferes with the business dealings of, of one of the Life Foundation's uh, members, 
Carlton Drake assembles like their top mercenaries to go after Venom uh, uh, and manages to capture Venom and, and, and get the symbiote away from Brock. And they perform experiments on the symbiotes. And that's when they discover that the symbiotes reproduce asexually. So Drake has his scientists basically force Venom to reproduce and, and give birth to these five new alien symbiotes. Scream, Riot, Agony, Phage and Lasher. And then Drake pretty much immediately has these newborn symbiotes bonded to the Life Foundation's top mercenaries. Ooh. Essentially creating five evil Venom clones at their beck and call. And because of the because of the, the newborn nature of the symbiotes, the human hosts dominate that relationship. Right. So the mercenaries are, on, are in control. That, I was about to say um, how they kept, how they must have kept that in control. Yeah. And and then the first thing they do to test their powers is send the the symbiote mercenaries off into San Francisco to just start randomly killing people and destroying things to to test their power levels. So, yeah, that's that's their connection to Venom and all this. Wow, that, and that, that's a pretty good thing. I I thought they'd try and do something in with this with that, like try and make a super soldier army. But well, we'll see what happens. It would make sense, wouldn't it? It would make sense. But this is another thing again connected to Resident Evil, where people say, "Why are you making a virus that creates giant monsters like to do for, for military stuff when you can just use a bomb?" <laughs> why Why did we have like five symbiotes introduced if we're only actually get two of them at the end like i don't it seems like it just makes it makes everything else seem less special like two of them is enough you've got a good one and a bad one mm. and the, the the scientists are trying you know the bad guys want to you can do everything you still do you just don't need that whole and then there's three others and that one of them dies through carelessness one of them dies because it's star like i i just don't get the approach of this movie it's yeah it's 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 a bit odd so back to the film meanwhile brock is living in a squalid apartment struggling to pay bills drinking a lot and has befriended maria a homeless person he's approached by dora who wants to expose carlton drake's terrible experiments she helps brock break into the research facility to search for evidence um the bar scene here i just wanted to point out it managed to do every single cliche i could think of like where is he now cut to a bar playing rock music with someone potting pool in the open shot the hero down his luck getting drunk isn't that your friend on tv hey could you turn that channel over hey aren't you eddie brock i used to be and i was like i was counting these off one after the other it was just quite it was quite remarkable the scene that last one was brutal yeah. like Aren't you Eddie Brock? I thought, oh, don't, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, I used to be. I thought, uh, again, one of those things that makes you think, is this a script from 10, 15 years ago that they've recycled? I mean, it's not, it's not bad, but it's just, it's just like, I, got, I, I know these, I know these, I know these little, little things, you know, it, it was just. It's again, it's a lack of care taken with a script. Yeah, it's a shame. You could have done so much with that, but never mind. Uh, so, does this actually happen, though? Does his life actually go off the rails properly like this in the comic books? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
as soon as Spider-Man catches the real serial killer, the Sin Eater, Brock's life falls apart. Um, the 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 guy he's published in the expose about Emil Gregg. Hmm. Emil Gregg. The why is that funny? It just it just sounds like a children's author. Okay. Um, oh, you can say it sounds like a baker, but there you go. Ah, it's um, yeah. he 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 turns out to be the next door, the delusional next door neighbor of the actual serial killer, Ooh. who learned that his neighbor's a serial killer, and then because he's delusional and a bit deranged, went about confessing to all the crimes with inside information and stuff. Brock hadn't done nearly enough work research to confirm the story he just written it and published it and protected his source and all of that uh so he becomes a laughing stock amongst his fellow journalists when that when the the real story breaks he gets fired from the daily globe he's forced to write for a paparazzi you know paparazzi drivel for a tawdry tabloid which Ooh. that he hates that uh and leaves him his father disowns him which i have to say is oh that's really harsh and then they do some backstory years later that turns out his dad's a complete ass um <laughs> uh, and brock blames all of this on spider-man of course if you hadn't have stopped the serial killer i'd still be famous and well thought of <laughs> Is his reasoning. Um, so yeah, Brock loses everything and he just starts drinking and working out in like a hovel, just pumping iron and getting massive, getting really hench and just hating Spider Man with every curl. Um, yeah. Didn't you uh, make, uh, previously make uh, references to that film with Robert De Niro, Cape Fear? Wasn't there a Cape Fear yeah. vibe to it, you said? Uh, yeah, well, a, a little bit more when he comes out of prison, but to begin with, yeah, just pumping iron and just, you know, uh, gonna kill Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, back to the research facility. Once inside, Eddie learns that Maria is one of the test subjects bonded to the alien life forms. Brock attempts to rescue her, but the symbiote possessing her transfers to his body without him realising, leaving her dead. Brock is able to escape by displaying incredible strength and leaping a huge fence. He soon begins displaying strange symptoms, such as hearing a voice in his head and erratic hunger pangs. The voice in his head wants him to eat people. It's a bit odd, isn't it? I, oh, I would say, in, in the middle of being chased, I mean, I know he's panicking and everything. I would have liked a bit more focus of him being surprised that he's able to kick down doors and tear down fences this easily. I would have liked a bit more yeah. focus of that. Of course, you could see the panic in him already, so I mean, it's, it's probably just the adrenaline taking over. But it's, yeah, but I, I, I think you're right. It's like they approached this with the attitude of, oh, well, everyone knows, he, everyone watching the movie knows he gets powers, so let's just do the cool scene. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They don't really kind of... They're not really, again, taking the care to write it as if... <laughs> yeah, as if you would expect it to kind of play out. Yeah, I, I, I just I just like it when, when, the, when the hero... I know, I know he's a vulnerable hero in this most of the time, when he's going, oh, gee shucks, and all that. But I would have liked a little bit of, whoa, I can do that. What's happening to me? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. It only t- it would only take like eight seconds at most. <laughs> Ten seconds. You could do it. Yeah. In, you could do it in three seconds. I reckon you could do it in three seconds. Just like you could boom. do it with a lock, couldn't you? Yeah. Or you'd like boom. I can do that. <sighs> boom. Done. Yeah. Like, or like, what's yeah. happening to me? Uh, also, there's a bit of a weird one, but I think he's supposed to be extra, extra fast. But there's that one shot where the buggy's coming after him, and then there's another buggy, and he's basically being pincered either side, and there's a tree next to him, and he runs behind the tree, and then, and then, but the thing is, the, the camera turns around, and the side he's now hiding behind is being approached by soldiers, and then they're all like going, Where's he gone? And it's like, from that angle, you would have seen him go up the tree. I just thought it was a very weird cat. No, it's been, no. Come on, it's, he's he's got superpowers. He jumped up the tree or something. Oh, I know. I know. He's just very quick. He must no, have been. Ex- sorry, Will. Oh, okay. No, this is this is another one of your obsession with detail problems. This is not a film. This time, it's not the filmmaker's fault. It's. I did. I actually rewinded it and I was like, going, "Where's it? Where'd he go?" And like, no, no, they would have. I, I, okay, okay, no, I, I'll drop it. I'll drop it. It's just that that conveyed to me his powers helped him escape. And that's what they were telling me. I know. It's just like I've seen it happen on the Walking Dead TV series when um, they're in the the woods and then suddenly they t- you know they they turn around and there's a, suddenly a zombie there and it's like you had clear vision 360 degrees how did the zombie sneak up on you? Uh, yeah, I've seen that. So I take it this is how Eddie Brock joins with the symbiote in the comic books. Someone breaks him into the laboratory, and then he shakes hands with a suspicious person. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um, uh, we returned to Eddie Brock, humiliated and, and homeless, nearly. Uh, he, 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 after all those drastic changes, he's basically... Uh, he's kind of destitute with shame and despair. His life, he thinks, is kind of done and mm. over. Um but, but, but Eddie's a, a Catholic and he wants to commit suicide. Ooh. So he visits a church, Our Lady of Saints, and he begs forgiveness from God, but but says he's going to kill himself. And right before he can kill himself, uh, this black goo starts to fall down all over him. We spoke about how Spider-Man finally got rid of the symbiote and thought Mm. he'd killed it by using church bells that were so loud they hurt the symbiote so much the symbiote like dissipated and died. Well, at exactly the same time, Eddie Brock has come to the church to beg forgiveness for suicide. The symbiote does not die. It finds a new host. Um, Kind of drawn to... This this, per, this 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 human's despair and <laughs> adrenaline and fierce hatred for Spider-Man, which now the symbiote hates. You know, the symbiote mentally and physically bonds with Eddie. Um, they both have a similar drive. In it, it reveals to Eddie that you know he's been posing as. Spider-Man's black costume and it got rejected and all of this so their rage kind of you know dovetails together and wraps around each other and uh, Brock's rage and hatred towards Spider-Man really starts to corrupt the symbiote causing the symbiote to become vicious and bloodthirsty Ah, that's an important thing because if you remember from Spider-Man 3 we talked about 
the symbiote in the comic books is not bloodthirsty. It is not corrupting Spider-Man. That's a, a, a brilliant plot point introduced by the animated series in 1994 and then adapted into pretty much every Venom story that retells the Venom saga. It, it, when Spider-Man has the black costume, he starts to be corrupted and get angry and get bloodthirsty. That's not there in the original story. Um, but in, in the comic books, it's more that either Peter Parker was so inherently moral and just and strong that he held all of that in check from the symbiote, or the symbiote kind of wasn't that way ever until it met Eddie Brock. And it's Eddie's bloodlust that, that changes it. So the symbiote's more of an amplifier. Well, well, we can get into a larger discussion here. Um, <laughs> if we look at the hosts it's gone on to be a part of after Eddie Brock, um, y- yeah, possibly, possibly. The 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 test the the, the one kind of one that you would because it's bonded with some supervillains and of course they become even worse villains, mm. right? The the one where it doesn't quite ring true is when it bonds with a government agent Ooh, who was okay. a really good guy, a really good military person, military good guy. Um, Spider Man's former bully slash best friend, Flash Thompson. Ah, Flash Thompson becomes the new the new Venom, and in that instance. Thompson is able to use the, the, the symbiote to do lots of very, very good superhero military things, but the more he wears it and the longer he wears it, the more the monster comes out, and there are times when he can't control it. So it seems from that that evidence to have some kind of inherent um, bloodthirsty nature, but that might only be a, le- a, a leftover aspect it picked up from Eddie Brock. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, B- Brock um, bonds with the with the symbiote, adding his own its own like mass to his large frame, which which makes him bigger and stronger, surpassing Spider Man's powers in terms of strength and all that. And the two permanently bond. Ooh, permanently and, bond, and, and that. Yeah, that's what spite the whole reason Spider-Man took the costume off and had to and was warned to by you know Reed Richards the smartest man mm. alive is because if he didn't the cost the, the parasite would permanently bond with him. Mm. And Spider-Man would lose his his um individuality. He wouldn't be one entity any. It wouldn't be two, you know, he would be a new entity that is both of them together. And that's what Eddie Brock becomes. He becomes... That's why they say we are Venom, because it is no longer... We'll get to this a little bit later on, we've got more to talk about with that. I, yeah. I like that, I like that. So, back to the film. Eddie goes to his ex-girlfriend, Anne, for help. He crashes a dinner she's having at a nice restaurant with her new boyfriend, Dr. Dan Lewis. Eddie rants and raves about alien species and exposing human trials. He talks to himself as the voice in his head gets louder... Eddie grabs food off people's plates and tries eating, but nothing tastes good. He finally ends up jumping into the lobster tank to cool down and starts munching on some lobsters while they're still alive. 
This is a very uh, odd scene. I mean, obviously, mm. I, I like what they're doing in terms of like you got the inner voice, uh, and it is Tom Hardy. It is Tom Hardy's voice. Obviously, they they just yeah. put an effect on, and he's put a different kind of voice on. Oh, you can't do a movie without doing a silly daft voice. That's as in his Tom Hardy's contract. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like his silly voices, but it's I, I again not to be too down on it, but. I don't know if they were trying to be funny or not with this bit. If you, ch- I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. If you changed the music, right, in this scene, feature in your head, if they changed the music to something a bit more whimsical, the restaurant scene could have been from an Adam Sandler film. I think it doesn't need even that. All it needs is a cut to, like, a wealthy dowager <laughs> l- clutching her pearls and be like, oh my, in the lobster time? <laughs> you know, that's all it would take. And then you'd be like, oh, I see what they're doing. I see what they're this, doing. Is a, this is a comedy. And then he points at someone and goes, you must be the Monopoly guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That's right. So there's quite a lot in the movie about Venom wanting to eat people. Uh, does, yeah, does, there's a lot. Does he do it in the comic books or was this them trying to be extra dark? Uh, not to begin with. To begin with, no, that would be insane. <laughs> because <laughs> to begin with, uh, he's not a cannibal monster. He, he's just he's like he's like the dark, twisted version of Spider-Man. Yeah, like which, which is a common superhero trope. Yeah, right. They're, they're, every superhero has that. Generally, has that one villain that's kind of like them, but if they were evil. Right, mm. um, but Venom ends up becoming much more animalistic uh, once Tom McFarlane leaves. Uh, when they bring when they bring Venom back a few times in different stories, return the character, return the character to, to the to the to the comic. Um, he he starts to take on these more monstrous characteristics. One of his early returns, he leaps at Spidey and screams, we want to eat your brains. This is a far cry from the character who, like, you know, tied Spider-Man up and took him to a thing and had, like, a trap and, you know, was talking to him normally and was like, you know, I'm mad, I'm going to kill you, but that's all of his villains. This is suddenly this creature leaping, I'm going to eat your brains! That's really full on. And this becomes like Venom's catchphrase. <laughs> um, so much so that they, they actually, when he's part of that big toy line in the 90s off the back of the animated series, they, they make a talking Venom action figure. And one of the things talking Venom says is, we want to eat your brains. <laughs> That's what the little action figure says. Um it, it it gets addressed. It, it's his catchphrase for years, right? It doesn't get addressed until 1996. In 1996, there's a, there's a series called Venom the Hunger. Ooh. And that reveals that basically all the time, the symbiote wants to eat people's brains. But Eddie Brock holds that in check. Mm. Um, and there's this one time where... Brock loses control and Venom eats some brain matter off a wall from some bad guy that he's just cracked their skull open 
and and um, Venom proceeds to be so disgusted at what he's doing, he throws up. He throws up the brains. Um, yeah. So so this character is not fussed about smashing a guy's head open on a wall so that the brains come out, but but having a bit of a uh, having a bit of a munch is just oh that is beyond the pale. Suddenly, there is a line I will not cross. You should have done what Hannibal um, Lecter did in Hannibal and just fry him a bit. Yeah. Like he did with Ray Liotta. Garlic in there. <laughs> yeah. So, at the end of this series, The Hunger, Brock solves the problem by realising that chocolate keeps Venom's cravings in check. Ooh. This is widely derided and mocked by comic book fans. I can imagine. As being like a huge toning down and kidifying of the character hmm. um, we've gone from Venom the supervillain and Venom the violent anti-hero screaming we want to eat your brains to have a Mars bar <laughs> and calm down um, other human hosts are, are, of the symbiote weren't as strong as Brock and didn't have his moral compass and so some other versions of Venom have chomped away on human heads and brains. So, back to the film. Drake finds out that it was Dora who allowed Brock to enter the lab and escape with the symbiote. After a stern talking to, Drake traps Dora in a test room with the last remaining captive symbiote, killing both. This leaves the symbiote inside Brock as the only known surviving specimen. A bit of a waste of a symbiote, that... <laughs> yeah, but I I think like he was still doing human trials anyway, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I know, I know. It was ugh. But yeah, you would have thought they would have held off on doing that lethal test on the last one they've got. <laughs> yeah, I just looked at that and went, why do you have to be all evil about it? Just shoot her. You've got guns. Because he's not stable in the head, is he? Frankly, no, no. no he's he's yet another mad scientist. But anyway, let's catch it. Let's, let's let's see where Drake goes next. Next, Drake sends mercenaries to retrieve the symbiote from Brock, but it manifests around his body as a monstrous creature that fights off the attackers. The fight breaks into the street, where Brock is forced by the symbiote into an explosive car chase, culminating in the symbiote completely taking over his body and escaping over a bridge. Now, I understand that they're the Life Foundation and they've got all this stuff and all this money, but using explosive drones in a public place was a bit war crimey. I think this is the one bit of the script from 15 years ago that they updated. Yeah. They went, oh, I can't do a motorbike chase. It's got to be uh, drones. drones. 2018, let's add drones. They're, they're, they're a hot topic at the moment. Pe- people can relate. <laughs> I'm convinced that's all they've changed. Oh, dear. So, this is the bit. We get our first real look at Venom. He's a big monster. He he, he, he talked about eating someone's head uh, in a very weird... He does. He, he does. It's like... It's like... And then he starts... Well, he actually does it as well. Yeah. He eats someone's head. Yeah, I, 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 it, it, it does happen really quickly, but you hear a crunch and you go, ooh, that was someone's head. Uh mm. Is basically this is a big monster alien. How close to the comic books is his design here? Because I assume that this is what he's like. 
it's pretty close. Um, pretty close. The, the movie character can't have any connection to Spider-Man. So it lacks that that gorgeous white spider which makes the costume so iconic. Yeah. Um, that obviously can't be featured because <laughs> if you're doing a non-Spider-Man version of the character, yeah. why would it have a spider? It's an alien. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that difference. Um, Venom also has a white patch on the back of his hand which is where the webbing comes out. Oh, okay. Which is a holdover from it being Spider-Man's costume, and that's where the webbing came out. Yeah. Um, so, without that, it, 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 it kind of just looks like black goo. <laughs> you know? It doesn't look like this really cool, iconic costume. It just looks like alien g- goop. Alien, you know, just looks like black liquid alien. Yeah. Um, it looks quite nondescript outside of the head. Um, so I've just sent you uh, an image of what Venom pretty much originally looks like. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. I mean, that's the Venom I recognise appearing in video game covers. Well, are you sure about that? Because it's missing some key facts. Venom wasn't a monster to begin with. Okay. He's super hench bodybuilder who wore Spider-Man's old costume and had Spider-Man's old powers. Hmm. When McFarlane initially drew him, he gave him this this exaggerated toothy grin, which meant that when he's in the shadows and the darkness, all you'd ever see were his big white eyes that Spider-Man already has and this massive toothy grin mm. like a demented cheshire cat or like the wolf from red riding hood yeah. my what big eyes my what big teeth very primal but take a look at that picture that i've sent you those are teeth they're not fangs they're not like what you see in this movie right with these giant set of you know sharp they're sharp jaw- teeth they're proper like a like a like a saw yeah, but they're thin. Mm. They're it's a toothy grin. Um, it's actually after Todd McFarlane leaves Amazing Spider-Man that Venom undergoes this change to his appearance and 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 uh, becomes this new, this tweaked version that is what absolutely defines him. Mm. Todd McFarlane has succeeded on Amazing Spider-Man by another rising superstar. Artist, one that would go on to be one of the other founders of Image Comics, along with Tom McFarlane, Eric Larson. It's Larson who turned McFarlane's toothy grin into a mouthful of giant fangs. Ah. And inside that mouth, he drew the monstrous alien tongue. That's the that's not an original feature of Venom, that giant slobbering tongue. It came a few years later thanks to Eric Larson. But that's that tongue has become the iconic defining thing about Venom. So much so that what we have when we have the movie of Venom 
we lose the connection to Spider-Man. We lose the webbing. There's no... Venom can't spin a web in this movie. We lose the giant white spider and the costume. But we still have what you might say what makes him Venom. The eyes, the fangs, and the tongue. Um, And with that design... Venom is suddenly less like an evil version of Spider-Man and more a monster, like an animalistic monster. And and all the artists started to lean into this as the 90s went on. His physical size suddenly started to alter and he became bigger than even a bodybuilder. Ooh. And that's when he starts yelling about eating brains <laughs> around, around this Larson time period. In fact, it is. It's when Larson... It's under Larson's tenure that we get monster venom yelling about brains. I uh, I was about to say like it, this this feels like a steroid rage almost, like a roid yeah roid rage yeah. roid rage. That's the term, isn't it? That would that, that would go that would go as side and side with Brock doing loads of muscle stuff in prison. Sorry, weights. It's called, isn't it? We don't see any of that kind of. Uh bodybuilding or anything in this movie do we no 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 we don't we, we no. don't we, we get to see we get to see a bit of drinking that's about it yeah that's true that's true so back to the film after escaping from the bridge uh venom finds somewhere safe to go and introduces to brock and venom introduces itself to brock and explains that the comment so the comment is searching for planets where the symbiotes can possess others and devour the inhabitants Venom offers to spare Brock if he can help the symbiotes achieve their goal, and Brock comes to enjoy the superhuman attributes that the symbiote imbues him with. Brock breaks into his old workplace to turn in evidence of Drake's crimes, but is suddenly surrounded by SWAT officers and is forced to transform and fight the entire team to escape. I, 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 I know. I, I know. A lot, a lot of work was put in, but this, 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 for as fight goes. As fights go, I'm, I was pretty uh, nonplussed about this one. It seemed like they could have been a bit more of a horror aspect because they, 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 some of it they tried to go for that whole Batman thing of like, oh my god, he's in the shadows. Where is he? He's got, and then and then people get taken out. What's interesting is that that that's only a Batman thing, really. Yeah. From from the video game that Arkham series, <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what this felt like to me. It felt like one or two. Video games I've played where you have to you have to work like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The spacing in in the room. It was this very big open kind of indoor plaza. Yeah, it's the kind of Ven- uh, venoms up above and you pick them off one by one. It just felt like yeah, like a like a lazy video game. Well, two, well, two things. Uh, I would argue that, that that stuff came in Batman Begins the film when he was picking him off at the docks. Uh, he does it like once, yeah. Oh, yeah. He does that. He, he picks one of them he, up. He once, picks one of them up, but he takes takes one while they're running down. He, he, he sort of he starts with the feral attacking. That you know, okay. He starts picking off. Yeah. Then he goes to the feral attacking. Uh, and yeah, it does. It does get a lot a lot of traction in the video games. But yeah, this does. This whole scene does feel like a video game. It's it's classic. Yeah. It's, in fact, as soon as it went in there, if if you see uh, the auto save icon appear in the top right hand corner, mm. and you see loads of health pickups, you immediately go, "Ah, something's about to kick off." You know, it's about. To what kick I off. noticed is that they they shot their wad. They they've done the two 
mm-hmm. most exciting bits of the movie, the yeah. two set pieces are the chase and then the SWAT team fights. And they do them, they're, they're like back to back. It's like one extended scene. And that's as exciting as the movie gets. Then it's done. Right? The rest, like nothing. I mean, the rest feel, they, they feel like these should have been spaced out. Yeah. Like yeah. the SWAT team fight should have been at the end of the movie when he has come to terms with accepting that he is now part of Venom and and starts to use the powers in a certain. That's like the bit in the middle is when they take the symbiote away from him and he has to fight to get it back. And then when he finally gets it back, he does the big fight with all the gut. No, they do <laughs> do it right here. <laughs> and then you've got this long kind of <laughs> end of the movie. And It did feel long the, towards the, cli- the end. The, it did. The, 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 the climax fight at the end is it, like very forgettable compared to these two scenes. Yeah. Also, by this point, the voice of Venom talking into his mind... Uh, at times felt like a very intense episode of Peep Show. <laughs> it was just like, like I think it was four nuns, Brock. Four nuns. That's insane. <laughs> so the symbiote seems to name himself Venom, which is a bit weird since there's no real spider connection in this film. Or is there another explanation for that name? Uh, there, there is. Yeah, <laughs> in the comic books, he does not call himself Venom because of any connection to Spider-Man. Hmm. <laughs> okay, which doesn't, which is clear nonsense, right? So the symbiote suggests that he. Well, it's okay. It, we'll talk about voices next. So it, this is hard to say without that bit. Hmm. What I will say is, he calls himself Venom out of resentment for being forced to write venomous drivel in the tabloids. <laughs> oh, God, that is strenuous. Yep, that's a very, very odd, tenuous link there. That's, but yeah. That's the reason. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly tenuous. Also, in the comics, does Eddie Brock actually hear his voice in his head like this? Is this like a... Like a buddy cop movie where they fight and bicker. Like, no, I can't eat his brain. Eat it, eat it. <laughs> no, 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 not really. I thought not. And and here's something that they really miss in the movie. For better or worse, it might be storytelling, who knows. But it doesn't seem to be, because it seems to be something they think is really good about the movie and what they hinge a lot of the movie on, this, this talk between Brock and Venom, right? Mm-hmm. In the comic books, when we first meet Eddie, when we first meet Venom, sorry, Eddie is fully bonded to the symbiote. Yeah. The entire reason Spidey got rid of the creature was to not permanently bond with it, because as it's explained to him, he then stops being an individual. Yeah. When we meet Venom, this has already happened to Eddie. Um, in the movie, Eddie and the symbiote are two separate identities that, like, can talk to each other. In the comic books, the symbiosis is total and complete. There is no Eddie. There is no symbiote. There's Venom. It's the it's the combination. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, com- it's combined personality. We, we, 
which is why they say we instead of I. Um, he doesn't have a separate set of thoughts in his head. His thoughts are the thoughts of one fully bonded symbiotic creature. Hmm. He does talk out loud to himself, um, but I've never read, despite changed in, in recent years, but I've never seen anything where you hear a response like from a distinct other voice of the symbiote. It's just like when he talks to himself, it's almost like any other crazy person talking to themselves. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 they really went for that effect. They just went, let's make him look like he's mad, like he's genuinely mad. I think it is a gimmick entirely. I I think if they didn't have Tom Hardy in this movie, they wouldn't have done this gimmick. Do you reckon Tom Hardy wanted to do this and they and he talked them into it? Um, I don't know about that, but I think Tom Hardy is very famous for doing different voices. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think that's a gimmick they decided to apply to this movie. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. So back to the film. Anne witnesses this transformation and Brock t- and takes Brock back to Lewis's office where they explain that the symbiote is slowly rotting Brock's internal organs. Brock notes that the symbiote has two weaknesses, high-pitched noises and fire. Although Venom claims that the organ damage can be prevented... Anne uses an MRI machine to help Brock separate from the symbiote. The symbiote, however, escapes through the air vents and possesses a small dog while Brock is captured by Drake's men. Uh, I I thought, because he's basically in the back of the car and Venom's sort of taking over with the speech and he's listing out his weaknesses, which I thought was very odd. It's like, why would you give out this information of how to kill yourself or how to damage yourself? Why would you do that? I suppose an argument could be made that he's telling, like, he's telling his host what to avoid. Yeah. Otherwise it'll hurt them. But if that's the case, we need a line of dialogue that says that, that explains yeah. why this, this occurs. It needed an extra bit of nuance, to, you know, because it is, you know, isn't yeah, exactly straightforward. Yeah, I think so. Uh, also, uh, this is the second time in a film that I've <laughs> ever used, seen an MRI machine used to disable a bad guy. And now the other one was Terminator Genesis. And the less said about that film, the better. You reference that film so often, I think you secretly are in love with it. I, um, I uh, There are many films I despise, and they never come up, Will. This is like the fourth so, mention of the Terminator Genesis has had on this cast. Sometimes I think you want to marry it. Sometimes it's a horseshoe effect. You know, yeah. you hate something so much <laughs> that love and hate are almost, almost touching. It goes uh, all the way back around. Yeah. So this is quite dark. It's rotting his organs. So being Venom is actually killing him. Is that something for the comics? Because if he's permanently bonded, that is a grim fate. Okay. It gets a bit weird. Okay, I like weird. So uh, years down the line from Venom's first creation, it's revealed that Eddie Brock has cancer. And then this confusing Ooh. thing takes place, okay. right? Where, so Brock believes that the only thing keeping his cancer at bay is the symbiote, right? So he can't ever separate from it, or he'll die. But mm. that's then revealed to be a hoax, a series of false memories and suggestions created by the symbiote to make sure Brock never gets rid of it. 
Ah, okay. You have cancer, without me you'll die. Right. And then, ironically, once Brock finds that out, he then does develop cancer. Ooh, okay. And as soon as he develops cancer and is dying, the symbiote is then desperate to get away from Brock and find a healthy host. (laughs) That entire sequence of events is really seen as an analogy in the comic books for a deeply toxic relationship. Mm. Being gaslighted by a partner, so you think you need them and you have to be with them and you can't live without them. And then as soon as you need them... They're off looking for someone new. Um, Brock does does um, suffer from cancer in the terminal stages and ends up selling off the symbiote at a supervillain auction to the highest vil- uh, bidder. Maybe, maybe we'll do a bonus episode um, all about the different people to be the host of Venom over the years, because that, that's a lot of fun, and there's some fun to be had with that supervillain auction and stuff. That might be something we do. If, if you want it, if you want a bonus episode where we talk about all that, uh, let us know. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com, because there's some fun stuff to be had. Might be a mini, might be a mini episode, might not be a, a full length one. It might be, yeah, might be a mini we one. We can squeeze something out for sure. Well, hey. Oh, hey, speaking of squeezing something out, has uh, Ven... No, boo! boo. I wasn't going to squeeze anything out, but I, that was a very awkward segue to uh, Venom possessing a dog. Um, has this happened, or was it a weird moment that they thought would be funny? Um, both. Oh. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure if they knew the other one, personally, because it's a very small moment. Well, there are two, right? So, there's a weird thing involving uh, a symbiote possessing a husky dog in Antarctica <laughs> at, at like a radio satellite station, which is all just Wonder a massive that... rip off of the thing. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. But that's not really the Venom symbiote. That's some sort of clone of the Venom symbiote, which is endlessly confusing and doesn't count. But during the really, really great Spider Island event when all of Manhattan is being overrun by spider monsters, Mm. the Venom symbiote is left without a human host during like this infestation where it needs to fight. So it it bonds with a German shepherd called Samson and uh, becomes Venom Dog to fight off the spider monsters. <laughs> so that does happen. But it's not like a huge, you know, it's not like, it's not even remembered as a very funny moment, or it's not, I don't think it's even remembered as a really cool moment. Mm. It's just, you know, it happens. It's, it's decent storytelling. But I don't know whether that was in their minds when they said, oh, we'll have it nab that chihuahua. <laughs> was it a chihuahua or was it a crossbreed? Well, whatever it was. It was you know, a yapper. Little, little, it was a yapper. Little yapper. Yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, the fourth symbiote makes its way from Malaysia to San Francisco by hopping from body to body. It finally bonds with Carlton Drake, who agrees to take the symbiote into space in a Life Foundation shuttle to collect the rest of the symbiotes and bring them back to Earth. So this is obviously, this is Riot's journey. This is... 
as we find out, this is riots. Uh, it's hopping from body to body. It's pretty ridiculous and also dark when you consider uh, it pretty much murdered a small child to do this. Did it? When did it do that? Well, I thought it hopped from body to body. The, the previous body dies or something. You might be right. There's nothing about Venom in the like comic books that, that kind of that says that. Yeah. Uh, nothing about Riot that says that. You might be right, but I... Uh, because we don't see him again. Yeah. But I don't know. I would have liked... I would have needed a line of dialogue that says... It's 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 using them up. It burns them out and moves on to the next. We don't get that. It just goes to a different body, doesn't it? Or, 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 or you know, just uh, almost as bad. There's now a lost child. <laughs> I'd like to think the child didn't die. That's just me. I'm an optimist. That's fair. That's fair. So, in the comic books, do the other symbiotes have a plan like this to conquer Earth? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Okay. So, as we've just discussed, the thing to remember about the symbiote is that it's a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> the Venom symbiote is a little bitch. Its whole thing is being super needy and making sure that you never, ever let it go. <laughs> right. When when Spider-Man rejects it, it becomes this crazy, basic instinct <laughs> stalker who immediately goes to attack Spidey's new girlfriend. The pain of being dumped is what defines this insane, toxic creature. Oh, God. So, in Planet of the Symbiotes, and I swear every word of this is true, I'm not twisting things to make a point. In Planet of the Symbiotes, Brock is basically like, I need some space. This isn't over, but I need some space away from you to decide if I want this relationship to continue. So get off me and go away for a bit. (laughs) And uh, the symbiote is so, so hurt by being rejected again. It has this, like, massive alien hissy fit and telepathically screams so loud it can be heard across the cosmos by other members of the symbiote race. hello. Which draws them to Earth. Which is bad news. Because now they know there's a planet called Earth. With lots of things to jump on. So yeah. Because the Venom symbiote got dumped again. It had a great big drunken cry. And a whole bunch of evil alien symbiotes come to Earth. And start possessing people. And start building essentially a Stargate back to their home world so they can open the door and invade the earth in one big swarm oh damn that's that's planet of the symbiotes planet, that, that, yeah. yep that's that's planet of the symbiotes wow okay did it did they ever do it did they ever actually spoilers spoilers okay okay we'll leave it for another time then we'll leave it for another time in the symbiote saga so back to the film at the Life Foundation Labs, Drake reveals to a captured Brock that he has been possessed by Riot, asking where Venom is. After Brock is unable to tell him where the other symbiote has got to, Drake orders his men to execute Brock in the woods. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Anne reluctantly bonds with Venom so they can free Brock. I mean, it's a bit of a push that the symbiote not only found matches in the dog and Anne, but also knew, also Anne knew that the dog was possessed. And thought it would be a good idea to get possessed 
to help Brock, it's a bit of a push because, like, what if there was no way back? What if Venom went, "Oh no, I like this body now." Why does the if it's got the dog? Why does it need Anne? Yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> why just run out if you can? If what? Anne's bigger. She's got hands. She's got hands. If the job needs that. opposable thumbs. Yep. Also, also, why why after having lots of dead bodies in your facility already, mm. does Drake need his men to take Brock out into the woods to kill him? I I don't I don't know why they took him out to the woods. I was going to say like no, just... it makes no sense. They've genuinely we've seen them have and kill people in this facility. <laughs> we spent a movie watching that happen. <laughs> Why does Brock need special death treatment? Because they've killed so many people, Rob, that they need to get the janitor in and sanitise the floor. Well, that's perfectly reasonable, that's per- but I I need a character to say so. <laughs> I need this to be communicated in the, the my, my Honestly, I say this so often, and my quote is, I need a line of dialogue, please. I need a line of dialogue saying that, and then I'm fine with it. I and I, I've made up my own explanation in my head that makes sense and maybe you were all thinking it people that made the movie but give me a line of dialogue <laughs> let me know <laughs> yeah no was. no 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 you're absolutely right i didn't think about it at the time i just accept it because i think what they did was like well what will they do they're going to execute them. where do people usually get executed the woods and it was <laughs> even thinking of wait a minute we, we could just use the lab yeah i need a scene where the dog dog venom is about to save Eddie Brock, but encounters something that requires thumbs and goes, ah, oh, I'm, a, I'm a dog. <laughs> that would have been and then goes all the way back to the hospital, finds Anne and goes, woof, woof, I need thumbs. <laughs> and then jumps onto Anne and goes, yeah, thumbs up at the camera and then runs all the way back to where Eddie's about to be killed. Hmm. And then, I don't know, thumbs a gate open or something. Yeah. However, does this actually happen in the film? Does uh, not the thumb thing, but does Carlton? <laughs> does this happen to comics? Like, does does Carlton Drake join with Riot to become like Venom's enemy? No, Venom doesn't really have any like. Well, he mm. does later on, but in the Spider-Man series, but Venom doesn't really have like any major antagonists of that description. Um, Drake is this evil businessman dude who keeps doing mega evil things like black ops mercenary stuff he's a spider-man antagonist they have there's a series called project arachna arachna project something like that where um drake has what does he do it's a spy, yeah so he, he has he tries to create an army of spider monsters to to i think it's to cure himself or to cure something and he ends up turning himself into like a man spider creature and he goes on a mad rampage and kills all the scientists um, but he never become he never bonds with a symbiote like he's presented early on you're like ah uh, that that businessman carlton he's smart enough to know if you're gonna like steal Venom's babies and create super powered lunatic mercenaries you shouldn't like expose yourself to an, a crazy alien parasite that would be stupid <laughs> and then like two years later he's like just gonna inject myself with some monster spider serum make myself <laughs> nice and big and strong 
It's always the serum. So yeah. you never you never go, how about sort of genetic manipulation? We just chuck a bomb at them. No, no. It's always genetic manipulation. So back to the film. In the woods. <laughs> in the woods. In not the, the lab, woods. in the woods. Uh, just before Brock is shot by Drake's henchman, Venom, now possessing Anne, kills off the attackers, freeing Brock. They then kiss, allowing Venom to repossess Brock. When Brock and Venom are bonded again... Ah, that makes sense. I know now. I know now. Ooh, hello. Okay, we'll discuss... The film The film board would never have approved uh, Tom Hardy tonging a dog. Never would have got past the censors just to get the costume back on. Not only does it not have thumbs, it doesn't have clear sex appeal. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Got to get that. That's why the bird from Dawson's Creek was necessary. But we'll just okay. Let me finish off this bit of the story. Then I'll discuss this <laughs> tonguing in a bit. Uh, when Brock and Venom are bonded again, the latter states that he has been convinced to help protect the Earth from his kind through his interactions with Brock, and the pair attempt to stop Riot and Drake with Anne's help. Right. Maybe why does he need to tongue? What they don't need to kiss, do they? To transfer? I mean, he can transfer. The dog could just sort of hump his leg. I was being humorous, Will. You're right. You could just hump his leg. Yeah. I, I, I was trying to be humorous as well, but, you know, more logically. <laughs> logically humorous. Logically humorous. The Will, the Will Preston story. <laughs> also available in German. Uh, <laughs> so, as you can see through this uh, bit in the woods, there's a lot of extreme violence I can barely see in the film, and it really itches at me. I really it, I'm really itching to see some blood. That's the that's the intent, isn't it? They do yeah. that whole like if you're going to stab someone with a sword, we will only show you it in shadow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to get that rating to a nice, healthy twelve A. I will say, although it does make me frustrated when they do this, it does. I, it's it's like the whole um, sort of debate around like art being not censored but shaped by restriction. Yeah, and part of it I do respect because you can get very creative and inventive when you have restrictions like that. It sure, but this film didn't get inventive or creative. Exactly, that's where I was going. To, that's where I was going with that. I was saying it's just, and also this is not art. I'm I'm willing to say like Deadpool. If you want to tell me Deadpool is art, we'll have a conversation about that. Yeah, no, this Charlie, is not art. Charlie Brooker had a term for that. It's not art. It's content. Content. Yeah, 100%. Content. So, uh, also another thing I got pointed out by some friends was uh, Sexy Venom is what they were calling Venom when he possesses Anne. Oh, yeah. I saw some of those comments. Yeah. <laughs> sexy Venom. There you go. Appar- yeah. Apparently, that, that wasn't from my friends. But they just saw it online. That was referred to as Sexy Venom. If you, if you, if you look into this film, there are plenty of people... That are very attracted to monster venom, uh, whatever shape it takes. It's true. They they are they are all for it. Indeed. But does uh, venom ever possess Anne like this and get a gorgeous yeah, figure? Yeah. yeah, quite quite a few times. Quite a few With times. A gorgeous figure. Several times. Well, I don't know about a gorgeous figure. It's it's you know, um, she she gets shot. Um, she's palling around with venom palling around gets shot he gets shot by someone else calling themselves the sin eater uh, sin eater kind of becomes something that's tied to venom for a while 
She's bleeding to death, and to save her, Eddie has the symbiote leave him and bond with her briefly to repair the, the gunshot wound. And she kind of goes into this like small coma, and when she wakes up, she's like, ah, She-Venom is the name of the character. She-Venom. <laughs> um, and immediately, as she wakes up, two like awful derelict men try to rape her Ooh. hello <laughs> and she oh, no. butchers them Ooh. brutally straight away um and then she kind of comes to her senses and the symbiote leaves her goes back onto eddie because the it's repaired the, right. the bullet wound wow. and she's like oh oh that was so dreadful oh eddie and the symbiote it, it made me do a terrible thing and murder them and eddie because he's not great with women <laughs> Says, oh no, 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 he can't make you do anything you don't want to do. That's not how it works, love. (laughs) If you did it, it's because you wanted to. It's like hypnotism, it can't force you to do anything. This traumatizes Anne. She's like, what are you saying? (laughs) And that hurts their relationship quite a bit. Um, And then, like, another time she's in prison for some reason, and Eddie sends the... She uses her one phone call to call Eddie. And Eddie sends the symbiote down the phone line. I don't know how that works. That is weird. And it comes out in the prison and possesses her. And and, and, and a third time, or a fourth time, it breaks her out of prison. Um, Yeah. So she has, like, a canonical connection to becoming She-Venom. Um... She's always reluctant, and she because she fears she fears the the symbiote because of how much it corrupted and changed in her mind, Eddie, and ruined things. Yeah, we do get a bit of that in this film when she kills them, and she said, "Oh my god, I just ate his head." Oh yeah, but it's it's played for a laugh, mate. It's played it, for a total. It laugh, was played for it? a bit of a weird laugh, but then I'm just thinking, "Oh god, her, the guy's head's in her tummy." No, I don't think that's how it works. Oh, okay, it's in Venom's tummy. I guess so. I Does Venom know. have a tummy? I, you know, I, I'd assume it... it they, mm. There we go. Uh, you know what? It probably it probably consumes the matter quickly and converts it into Venom energy or Venemergy. Venemergy. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That is good. So back to the film. At the launch site... Drake forces his scientists to prep the space probe for launch before slaughtering all of them as Riot. Venom arrives to see Riot running towards the launch pad. Venom tells Brock that on his planet, he is just like him, a loser, and that Riot is far more powerful than him. That sucked. That That sucks. Didn't didn't, didn't you just like go like, what were they trying to do with that bit? On my planet, I'm a bit of a loser. What? They're trying to to make... (laughs) They're trying to make... Venom into like the the guy you root for in they're trying to make Venom more like Spider-Man yeah that's what they're trying to do aren't they right they're trying to make Venom the underdog when it's like that, but that doesn't work because we saw you murdering people and doing <laughs> all this insane eating stuff eating heads you're huge you're massive you're clearly not an underdog you are an overdog so yeah, that, it sucked. It sucked. That, uh, bit. that that just felt like, oh, what is this trying to verve into a comedy film now? What? So, <laughs> with that in mind, is that, is Venom 
like being a loser alien underdog. Uh, is he like that in the comic books? Is he the nerd on the planet of symbiote jocks? <laughs> no, there's no hint oh, of that God. to be to begin with. There's no he's he's a badass evil supervillain. Yeah, and then he's a badass anti-hero that murders criminals. Um, and then <laughs> during Planet of the Symbiotes, when the Earth is about to be uh, invaded by his his race, he he reveals that all the other symbiotes are like a race of conquerors who travel through the galaxy dominating and possessing their hosts completely and like taking them over and then they generally set out to take over the entire planet they're on and call other symbiotes across but the venom symbiote is an outcast because he just wants to have like a lovely bond (laughs) and share a life with his host and it to be like a partnership and stuff so he, he because the venom symbiote would never speak but it wouldn't it wouldn't be like i'm a loser but it's very much like i just want him to like me oh. <laughs> that's what venom that's what venom that's what the symbiote is man in the comics as much as badass as the is the monster might look that's what it is it's needy it's the it is the physical like i i I wish someone kind of like would write a bit more in this direction it is like the physical manifestation of clingy like literally i want to be your skin oh that that does sound like overattached girlfriend meme Uh uh-huh yeah yeah i'm getting that vibe or boyfriend or boyfriend so let's get back to the film venom catches up to riot and the two do battle just as it looks like Riot is about to win, Anne activates a piercing sound from the control tower to all the speakers at the launch site, causing the two symbiotes to rid themselves of their hosts, leaving Drake and Brock fighting hand to hand. Suddenly, Riot reattaches to Drake and impales Brock, leaving him for dead. While Riot boards the space probe, Venom crawls to Brock, reattaches to become whole again. Then, Venom races up the rocket, which has just initiated launch, and tears a chunk out of one of the engines, causing the whole thing to explode, killing Drake and Riot in the blast. Is this how he saves Earth from symbiotes in the comics? No! (laughs) After being so upset, it screamed so loud, all the other symbiotes heard it and found Earth because if it's crying the, the 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 invasion of symbiotes is ended when brock allows the symbiote to rebond like like here but like allows it because they've had they've been having space issues haven't they mm. i want my space uh brock allows the symbiote to rebond fully properly rebond allowing uh the venom symbiote to create a telepathic scream <laughs> so loud it causes all the other symbiotes to commit mass suicide. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That planet of the planet of the symbiotes is weird. There's two Spider Men in it. It's weird, man. That's that's incredibly weird. Yes. So we're coming up to the end of the film now. Uh, after the incident, Brock returns to journalism. While Anne believes Brock is no longer bonded to Venom after this, and that Venom also died in an explosion. However, 
the pair remained secretly bonded and set out to protect San Francisco by killing criminals. In a mid-credits scene, Brock is invited to interview incarcerated serial killer Cletus Cassidy, who promises carnage when he escapes. So, we've got Woody Harrelson as the villain in the next film. Okay, now I'm interested. Yeah, but what if they just do it like this? <laughs> I reckon Woody Harrelson can carry it. I reckon he can do it. That's very true. That's very if true. If you've got a combination of Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson, maybe. I'd hope so. Yeah. So what's the significance uh, of Woody Harrelson playing the serial killer at the end? We are looking at another villain, aren't we? Yeah. Um, in, in the comic books, Eddie Brock is in, is in, in jail uh, and, and he's incarcerated with a, a, a serial killer, a southern awful serial killer called Cletus Cassidy. <laughs> and they, they hate each other. Brock really, really hates Cletus because Cletus loudly brags about all the innocent people he's murdered and all the ones that they haven't like found him guilty of yet and and then the uh, venom symbiote comes to break eddie free from prison and when it does it leaves behind the first of its um real offspring a red symbiote that bonds with cletus Ooh. and becomes the deranged bloodthirsty villain called carnage a creature far more powerful than venom uh so that's what they are setting up for the the next movie will thank you so much for taking us through step by step scene by scene the 2018 movie venom asking all the important questions it's the only way we get all the important answers. Hashtag no gatekeeping. Yes. So, uh, I, what are your final thoughts then on 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 this on this on this movie on this portrayal of Venom? <laughs> I, I I kid I kid. Um, there were some good moments. There were some good moments. I felt there was a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, a lot there. I I really do think. I feel like the opportunity was to make the make a darker film separate from the MCU, like they did with the Netflix shows. Uh, you know, they had that that, yeah. that space to do it. But what, essentially, what you had in the end was kind of a a cliche character vehicle. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just I just think it was it was it was very very dated. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it, if you'd slightly changed the face of of the of the alien yep it it didn't have to be a venom movie at all it could have been an alien possesses a guy is he a hero doesn't seem like he saves anyone really you know yep could it could have been saves himself i don't know it just seemed like is he an anti-hero is he he's meant well he's meant to be but but what like who does he protect really in this movie other than himself exactly his wife, who's in that position because of him. The homeless woman he wants to save gets killed. And beyond that, it's people after him, 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 him. Which is the hallmark of most of those kind of, you know, action movies, isn't it? It's all about... It's not necessarily about like going around and saving the world as much as it is bad guys are after me because 
I have an alien stick or <laughs> they cloned my foot or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh. It, 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 it's a deeply popular character. People were really excited to see the character, as they should be. Um, but it, and that's reflected by the box office. You're right. You're really right. The, the idea of Woody Harrison in the sequel is exciting. Just really hope that um, I know they, they 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 put more into the into the script. Really, they spend more oh money on it. God. I think they'll have to they'll have to spend at least double. I mean, they should really be spending four times as much on the next one. Um, I hope considering so. How much money they made? I hope yeah. so. At least on the script. Uh, I, I I think for Morbius and Venom too. I I'm going to say. I, I have I have hopes. I am optimistic. I'm optimistic they'll be all right. They won't be MCU quality films, but they'll be all right. They'll be better than this. And then thinking back over the questions and the answers, Will, what's been your favourite bit of Venom trivia from the comic books? Oh, God. Nothing too crazy, but I'm probably going to have to go with Eat Your Brains. <laughs> the talking action figure. Yeah, talking action figure. Eating of brains. brains. All I'll say with uh, that is, it's no, it's no stilt man. It's no stilt. <laughs> Nothing is stilt Nothing man. Nothing comes close to stilt, stilt man. man. Yeah. I am now very tall. <laughs> um, I really hope he crops up in something we get to cover one day. That'd same, be fun. Um, as for a reading list that people are always desperate to get at, so they can expand their Venom knowledge and story writing story writing? Story reading mm. um, I I highly recommend The Birth of Venom which contains in it the uh, original alien costume saga from Spider-Man, the black costume and it contains the very first appearance of Venom and this battle with Spider-Man uh, the incredible way they tied that all into the story from four years ago, Eddie Brock, the dynamic artwork from Todd McFarlane, um, The Birth of Venom. It's a great collection to get your hands on. And I happen to have a copy of it available for sale. Ooh. If you head to ebay.co.uk slash USR slash Rob Halden, H-A-L-D-E-N, then you can access my eBay store, and I've got a copy, a hardback copy of that, uh, completely brand new, that uh, you can you can get hold of yourself. If you're looking for um, stories that reflect this movie more, then I'd recommend Venom Lethal Protector, which is the very first Venom solo story where he's an anti-hero instead of a supervillain, and he goes back to San Francisco, which is why this movie's set there. Uh, that one's pretty interesting. There's some great characters in that called the Jury, mm. who are really fun. Um, the uh, you'll, you'll you'll find um, the Life Foundation are in it as well, and you'll also find the most incredible artwork from Mark Bagley or Bagley, who is um, a great '90s Spider-Man um, artist. He kind of really defined Spider-Man for like five or six years or not defined him but kind of really shaped the look of Spider-Man um, you, you could also, part of this is allegedly based on Planet of the Symbiotes just because there's some symbiotes in it trying to come to Earth so you can get Planet of the Symbiotes if you want it's a bit of a mess quite frankly <laughs> but Carnage is in it, Venom is in it a bunch of other symbiotes are in it they all join together to create a massive symbiote at one point 
Spider-Man's in it and the Spider-Man clone Scarlet Spider is in it. So it's kind of 90s fun. It's a bit messy, but Planet of the Symbiotes, that's also connected to this movie. We are going to um, close things out now. The end of our Venom Odyssey, our three incredible episodes. If you feel you're missing the middle one, that is the Secret Wars deep dive, the origin of the symbiote is there. Head over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and you can become a uh, a viep and get access to the bonus episodes there we have been on quite the anti-hero trip uh young will we have from ghost rider through to venom and we've decided we're going to cap off our anti-hero uh season with perhaps the most famous and the most important anti-hero exclusive announcement the next episode that we do will be on the punisher we'll be focusing on that um early two th- uh, mid 2000s punisher movie starring john travolta is uh, not the first interpretation but one of the incredibly memorable ones and uh, a really unique chapter in marvel cinematic history as well we've got a lot to talk about when that movie uh, hits hits us in the next episode so te- check it out yourself in your own time and watch along and uh, make sure you join us again next time on Marvel vs. Marvel